This is Movies, a podcast about the act of cinema. With me today is, yet again, the special guest star of the evening, of the Christmas special. This is a Christmas special. Oh. A doubleheader. And uh, we have Hans here. Hans, how are you doing? Hello, pretty good. So, are you uh, in the camp of people that think that Batman Returns is a Christmas movie? I don't want to get, engage in that discussion at all. That's very. I hate that. I hate that so much. I saw that. I was like, this is stupid. This is the same James thing as the Rolf, right? He, yeah, he put out a put out a video saying like the reasons why this is a Christmas movie, like that changes anything. I don't know. He's responsible for this discussion. I only saw it on Twitter. I didn't really see James Rolfe's video. I know that this is a, a topic of discussion on social media, similar to the whole Die Hard thing, which again right. is also very forced. And well, uh, that's. That's how he presents it. I, I I watched like the first couple of minutes, and uh, he talks about how if Die Hard is considered a Christmas movie, then Batman Returns should be because of this and this. And like he goes point by point comparing both of them, and it's just who cares? Sure, whatever. <laughs> what, what, what does it make a difference either way? Is that going to affect your viewing of the movie? Eh, I know. Anyway, <clears throat> we're going to be talking about Batman 1989 first, and then we'll get into Batman Returns. The uh, the sequel to that film. And you have uh, behind you young Jack Nicholson, right? From uh, the film. I used to think that was my uncle when I was a little small boy because I have an uncle who's a crackhead who I remember going to a party in the projects and people were like, oh, you look familiar. Who who are you? And I'm like, I don't know any of you people. And they're like, wait a minute. You look like you look like David. You're David's nephew. I was like, I am David's nephew. David was the crackhead who would sleep on the couch and eat everybody's food and steal shit. Is that his, is that his real name? Or are you just doxing That's his real name? Yeah, I should have gave a fake name for my uncle. Uh, yeah. No, yeah, but he looks exactly like the guy behind you who plays young Jack Napier in Batman 89. Yeah. Is that so? That's who he's supposed to be, right? Yeah. He's no, he's supposed to be Joaquin Phoenix. That's it all connects. Uh, what is your history with this, this film? Because for me, this was—I mean, this was the first superhero, probably anything that I watched. Right. I got it at, at, from my uncle, my crackhead uncle, who I was just talking about. He gifted it to me on VHS for Christmas around like 1993 or 1992. Um, I saw it when I was what around 12, 13. I saw it in a neighbor's house. Uh, that uh, hold on, wait, hold on, wait, 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 wait. What, what do you got? You got birds behind. You got birds fucking chirping behind yeah. you. What is going on here? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Are they in the same house. room as you? No, they're upstairs. Do you mind like shutting the door or something? Just because that's gonna that's gonna be coming in. That it seems like every single time you talk, I'm hearing a chirp. Uh, okay. Do you want to pause it? No, I well, I'll, it. I'll I'll just keep talking. I'll just keep talking. Oh, okay. It's I mean, like, I'm just going to have to move. I'm just going to have to get in a room or something. So just yeah. keep talking. All right. Mute or, your or mic. I'll, I'll, I'll talk as I move. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's Batman 89. The history of this film is kind of interesting in that uh, I believe production was ushered in around 1983. And Tom Mankiewicz was the original screenwriter. And that is the nephew of the subject character of David Fincher's in the movie, Mank, which just came out on Netflix what was it, about a week or two ago, as of the time of this recording. And that film, well, that screenplay seemed much more comical, much more cartoony, more in line with the 1960s television series. I would say it wasn't full camp like that, but it felt 
much more in line with the 1970s comics, which sort of danced between we're going in a darker direction, we're also very over the top and light, but not quite as soft and uh, you know cheery and round-faced as the 1960s comics and uh, 1950s version of Batman and Robin. You know, back in the 70s, you would see comic books where Batman would have to team up with some kung fu guy. And that's how Ra's al Ghul came about as a character. Or he would um, team up with, you know, some soul brother who, who also knows martial arts. And it was a lot of stuff like that. So this these comics sort of informed the tone of that original screenplay in 1983. And that led to discussions early on of potentially Bill Murray playing Batman in that initial film. Yeah. Hans's reaction to that seems very, uh, yeah, weird. So, I mean, I, I guess if you, if you really think about, uh, what's his name? Birdman. Can't believe it. Uh, Keaton. If you think about his career before Batman, I guess you could see why they would think that would be a good choice. He's kind of yeah. like, uh, I mean, look, he's got curly hair. He was a stand up comedian at the time. He's kind of like if you can't get Bill Murray, but you want somebody who's Bill Murray-ish, maybe third down the line is Michael Keaton. I I I don't think it's that out there that they would have cast him eventually for 1989. And uh, the role of the Joker was—I mean, the Joker was the villain in the 1983 script by Mankiewicz, and uh, I know that. I mean, aside from the tonal differences of that, there was no Vicky Vale character. I believe it was like Silver St. Cloud, who's a 1970s uh, Batman comic book character. And they always had Jack Nicholson in mind. From probably the time that The Shining came out, I'm fairly certain he had a contract with Warner Brothers. Take a look at the vast majority of the films that he did in the 1980s. They were under the Warner Brothers label. Uh, he probably had some sort of agreement with them as of the time of that film coming out and was always the number one pick. And I mean, if you're, if you're an actor in the 1980s, just in terms of personality, I don't think anybody encapsulates the Joker better than somebody like Jack Nicholson. I know that uh, Tim Burton for a period of time considered, and there was no way they were ever going to let him do this. He wanted Brad Renfro from, uh, the Child's Play films and from One Flew Over yeah, the yeah. Cuckoo's Nest, who has a very striking Joker-esque look, especially with the 1980s version of that character. If you take a look at The Killing Joke by Alan Moore, that's a very Brad Brad Renfro-looking um, Joker. But uh, no, we had 55-year-old Jack Nicholson with his big round head and little body. Ah, honestly, that was one of my favorite parts. Yes. About the movie, his his performance. Uh, now let me just go back to what I was going to say before. I was really interrupted by birds. Uh, first time I watched it was with with a neighbor that uh, was one of the few people that was into comic books here in Costa Rica that I knew growing up. Uh, but he was mostly into Superman, so I didn't really respect him that much because <laughs> I find Superman to be just really boring and just yeah, and a nothing character. Uh, but. I remember just thinking it was cool and, and never really thinking that much besides that because I was really young. Like I didn't know what I was supposed to like. And it was the first comic book movie I ever saw, I'm pretty sure. Um, but I just remember thinking it was cool. Uh, never really gave it much of a second thought. I've never really been much of a Batman fan, to be honest. Uh, I'm more interested in the Robins 
which is kind of what? Weird to say, Hold on, no, yeah. you don't like Batman. Like, You're more into Robin. Yeah, uh, into the into the different types of Robins and what they where they've gone from when they start. Okay, I'm, I'm more I'm more interested in that than just I don't know. I just I just I, I find at least mainstream Batman to be very whatever. You know, I'm sure that in the comic books it's more interesting, but in, in movies I just don't find that character to be interesting. Really, have you read uh, any of the graphic novels? Hmm. Or any of the runs, Killing Joke and uh, the um, what is it? Dark Man Returns, Black Man Returns, Dark Man Returns. That's Sam Raimi. Yeah. Uh, Dark Knight Returns <laughs> is Frank Miller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've read those two, uh, and just here and there, you know, nothing, nothing in particular. But I just, I don't know. I guess, I guess when you get down to to the character, is just a rich man with toys. Um, it, it's kind of what you would want to be when you're a young lad. Like that sounds very attractive, but I just don't think him as a character is interesting enough. I just don't don't really care about someone still mourning their parents' death thirty years later. Still, think you know that kind of thing. It's uh, I don't know. So I've never been able to connect with that character as, that much. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the same time, now that I rewatched it, uh, this movie, I really enjoyed it. There was a lot of things that I liked that you don't really see on on modern comic book movies anymore. Because there was nothing like it when it came out, but uh, kind of wish they, they brought it back. At least the, the fun aspect of it, you know. Yeah, uh, I know that uh, in the first one, in the first one, he didn't really have that much freedom, right, Tim Burton? Uh, yeah, I mean, they were thinking about doing this movie for quite a while, probably at least ten years. They were talking about doing a Batman movie, and um, he was brought in, I think, on the strength of both Beetlejuice and Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Like pr- prior to that, he was an animator over at Disney, and there's a short film for Frank and Weenie that came out during that time, I believe, with Daniel Stern and um, what's her- Shelley Duvall. Right, and, that- and that's a fun little 25 minute, well done short film. And he was given the Batman property, which was kind of, I mean, look, it wasn't dead at the time in terms of a visual medium, though. The only thing that had come before. That was really of note was that 1960s Adam West series. There were 1940 serials where in one he's uh, fighting a man in Mickey Rooney face. He's fighting one of the Japs, Dr. Daka, I believe his name is. And then in another one, he's fighting somebody called the Wizard, just two made up villains. And the costumes are very flimsy. You have like the ears bending down and whatnot. It's oh, yeah. All very yeah, cheap. yeah. But um, yeah. The 1960s show runs for, I think, three seasons, and they wind up doing a movie at 20th Century Fox. That's a, mm-hmm. an enormous success. But that show ends, and for maybe about 15 years at least, there's no real discussion of doing anything live action with that character. It it takes a long time for them to get this movie rolling. Do you think that that was before because uh, in those times you have more realism in movies? Yeah, say seventies, early eighties, where I guess in the eighties uh, with the slashers and all of that, uh, that is not maybe not as serious anymore. But the tone of of type of movies and things that people enjoyed in the seventies, let's say, they tend to be more real real than something like a superhero. I guess you think that's the reason why. Yes, absolutely. That. If you take a look at any of the like the biggest films of the year blockbusters i remember doing this maybe about uh five or six months ago 
because I was just curious, what was the highest grossing film of each year? It looks extremely different to the past like 10, 15 years uh, where, you know, in the 1970s, I'll, I'll just read off some of the titles for you. You would never assume that these would be, you know, massive money making hits. Right. The number one movie of the 70s in terms of making making money was Love Story, which was a cheesy, I think, what was it? Ryan O'Neill was in that? Yeah, Ryan O'Neill, Tommy Lee Jones, uh, romance film. Airport was the second one. MASH was the third. Patton was fourth. Woodstock, fifth. And, um, you know, it, it's a bunch of films like that. You go down the line. 1980s comes in. You have Indiana Jones. You have more Star Wars films. You have right. the slasher films you're talking about. Franchises become a big thing. To that point, nobody was really interested in making sequels to films. You would just make a similar right. enough film to that, but do your own thing with it. Like with Airport, the success of that film, they had like Towering Inferno, the Poseidon Adventure, those those types of films in the 1970s. And then um, they, they it, I mean, the idea of a sequel is not a new idea, but it's something that wasn't fully embraced until the early mid-80s, I would say. Uh, were they connected? Well, or like you just said, uh, because um, if you think about the slasher movies, uh, they're all connected by the character mostly. Yeah. Right? There's not really much story that goes from movie to movie uh so it's a it's a lot of about a lot like what they did with the batman ones if you want to think about it that way with the forever and the batman and robin where they change every character in every movie uh but the logo and the suit stay so that's how you connect them i guess the alfred and the commissioner gordon stay because they need the paycheck because they're not getting any other jobs yeah. Oh, is it is it the same the same mm -hmm. for the four movies? Those is are the, the only, only two. Two characters that were, okay. Yeah. I, I, I haven't I haven't seen Forever or, or Batman and Robin yet. Uh it's a rewatch or the refresh, I haven't, but uh yeah, that's I guess that's how you would do sequels before, not specifically following the same story or uh picking up where the last one left off, but more of a you know, this this kind of keep the same type of I guess, I don't know, because the tone is completely different in those two, right? It, it's, yeah, it's extreme. I mean, Batman Forever Batman has a Forever, little Batman bit. Almost back to, to the 60s. Yes, absolutely. It, they they do take it right back to the Adam West uh, style of, you know, Batman. They He gets in touch with that. Batman Forever is a little bit different, but not that much different. Um, it has a maybe like a touch of the, the like Batman 89 flair to it. But it's absolutely more in the Batman and Robin camp than anything else. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you people were complaining. Well, we'll we'll talk about that later with with the whole Batman Returns controversy and, and McDonald's and all that. But Batman '89, I think, maintains its level of cartoonish fun and dark fun very well. I think Batman Returns, in in some ways, uh becomes more of a Tim Burton movie than a Batman movie in terms of its stylization. And then when you yeah. get to Joel Schumacher, they lean too heavily into the commercial commercialization of the character yeah. and of the property. And they're way too aware of its worth to the company. So uh, Batman it's more of a, more of a commercial than the other two really. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. Batman and Robin is, is the worst offender of that, but it's, 
It's got occasional memorable moments, and uh, it for a bad movie, it's an enjoyable watch. I'll say that. Well, I guess everyone has their own catchphrase to sell T-shirts. Yeah, <laughs> I, guess. Yeah. I don't know. Everyone has their little lines of uh, who. Well, I guess we're, we're going to do a, a podcast on those too, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so I do have a couple of questions for you that you're an expert in this uh, 89 movie. Yeah. Um, because, uh, well, what was the, the biggest difference between, or at least the power that Tim Burton had between one and the other? Because you can really tell, a yeah. big, if you're a fan of his work, uh, as soon as the second one starts, you can really tell that, okay, so this is a Tim Burton movie. Like right away, the cheese that he adds to it, the dialogue, the way that the characters speak and interact with each other. I don't know. I'm sure he didn't write it, but it's very Tim Burton-y. Uh, and the characters that he added, like Max Shrek, uh, are very much of his style. And you don't really see that that much in the first one. So I'm wondering if uh, in the back of the success of the first one, they were just like, well, here, just have some money and go crazy with it. Because even the the um, the set design and, and uh, the way that the city looks in the second one is, is not com maybe not completely different than the first one, but... It feels like it's two different cities, really. Yeah, no, it, well, it is. It, it actually is, because the set designer of this movie, 1989, killed himself, Anton First. I think he actually, he might have won an Oscar for this film or for another film. And they had to bring in another guy, obviously, for, for the sequel. So you have a very different uh, looking movie in that regard. But... Think of it like this. Uh, I mean, this is not going to be the ideal example because James Gunn went from Guardians 1, which was very like his style and tone, to Guardians of the Galaxy 2, which was Disney product. Um, but it, it's essentially like that. Tim Burton's in that similar camp to James Gunn when he lands Guardians of the Galaxy, where maybe he has one or two smaller films that are interesting, kind of kind of strange, and perform better than expected then right. he gets the major property. And once that happens, he's got much more of the investor's trust in him to deliver a product that's going to be able to sell, even if it is uh, abnormal compared to the rest of the market, which is why they gave him more creative freedom with Batman Returns. And also, Batman Returns is probably the exact reason why Disney doesn't allow anybody any sort of creative <laughs> freedom with <laughs> any do of their movies. own thing yeah. anymore. Yeah. yeah. I think it kind of uh, it 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 uh, dirtied the waters a little bit for any sort of director trying to make their version of one of these characters. Did it not make as much money as the first one? Do you know? No, I, the first movie, the first movie is one of the top gross. I mean, it, if you adjust for inflation, it's one of the top grossing movies ever, and it was one of the biggest movies of the 1980s. It might be, I I don't know. It could be number one, maybe. I don't know. I, I remember yeah, the no. fanfare for Batman 89 leading up was massive. Do you have any recollection of that? No, not at all. I mean, I was living here. so Right. Uh, and I was also three years old. I actually wasn't living here. I was living in Mexico and I was three years old. So no, yeah. <laughs> I don't remember Batman. But I'm looking at the numbers right now. Uh, the first one, I, I guess you do have to uh, adjust the numbers, right? Because it says that the Batman 89 made... 251 million and 282 million. Uh, hmm. 
but I'm wondering, well, the budget was 80 million in Batman Returns. And uh, 35 for 99. Yeah. Now, uh, where did they offer Tim Burton the third one, or did it not have any idea of making a third one? How did that, do you know how that worked? So, like the. From what I can remember, I think Warner Brothers wanted him out, but they, I don't know if they really did want him out. I think they wanted him on board, but they wanted to control him. I think they wanted his name and his style and the comfort that he would give Michael Keaton or whatever, you know, the other actors were, but I don't think they actually wanted him making the decisions he would have made. So he got, I think, offered it. He turned it down because he knew what he was in for. And the lack of Tim Burton made Michael Keaton bow out, even though they offered him a massive paycheck for it. And, uh, you know, if Michael Keaton doesn't get Birdman, that's probably a massive mistake on his part because then he's doing right. Herbie Fully Loaded only a couple of years later. He's doing Multiplicity in the 90s. His career was... Re- people People don't remember... I mean, it, it, he's only been on the A-list again for a very short period of time. But yeah. for a good 15, 20 years, Michael Keaton was in the gutter. Michael Keaton was doing direct-to-DVD movies. It's Luke who's talking sequel, right? <laughs> that, type of, that type of stuff. That yeah. type of stuff, absolutely. So after well, Batman, a, he, I mean... What's, what are his most memorable movies, if you really have to think about it? If we exclude he, he, the new ones. He was very top... He was very Tom Hanksy, right? At the beginning. Yeah. Like Tom Hanks' early career is very much like his career in the 80s. Definitely. But what would be his, his bigger movie if not Batman? Beetlejuice, Night Shift. Oh, right, right. Um, sure. Pacific Heights. I don't know. He didn't have too many. He didn't have that many. Uh, clean and Sober. He's very good in Clean and Sober, but that's not a hit. Yeah, I don't know. I yeah, hosted I Saturday Night Live couple times twice i think morrissey was the the musical guest for one of those. <laughs> <laughs> i don't know his his career is uh, very strange yeah very peculiar um, uh, oh he was porco rosso's voice in that that anime about a pig that flies or something Never mm-hmm. seen it. you know that's studio Ghibli or Ghibli or Ghibli? You know? i don't know i got Jack hbo Fox. max maybe i'll delve into that now that i have the option yeah, his career did not go well after this. Um, for for a while. He he, you think he thought he was going to make it big after Batman? <laughs> uh, yeah, you have to think that, right? If you're turning down Batman 3 after the first two have been hits, you think you have that sort of sway to you. You you, you got that kind of weight. You're, you're going to last. You're going to stick in Hollywood. Wrong. Wrong. Christopher Reeve had a better post, post-superhero career than Michael Keaton did. In a chair. In a, ch- in a chair, yeah. <laughs> so Batman uh, Batman 3 could have been very interesting if Tim Burton stuck around. Because I know we w- probably would have seen the same same villains we wound up getting with the Riddler and Two-Face. But you would have had Billy D. Williams and you would have had probably Robin Williams. No relation. So that did not pan out, unfortunately. Billy D. Williams. Yes. Billy, D, uh, I mean, he doesn't become Two Face until I don't know how that was. Lego Batman. He came in for Lego mm-hmm. Batman. That counts, right? True, right, right. Uh, I don't want to talk shit about him because I've done it before in in episodes before 
Wait, no, that's not him. I'm thinking, wow, never mind. Billy D. Williams? He is Lando, right? He's yeah, Lando, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I thought I was being racist. Uh, <laughs> no, but yeah, because I've, I've talked about how I am not really impressed with him, with anything he's done. That was Fear so City. I, that I, episode is gone. That episode is lost to time because we didn't uh, figure out how to record it. So you can talk all the shit you want about Billy D. Williams. Okay, well, I think that he's a very beloved figure because of the characters that he's played, but he has no range, and he's overrated when it comes to his acting ability. Uh, and he's just smooth, and he's yeah. always just been smooth. I guess I just haven't... I, maybe it's just a, you know, an, an undiscovered uh, movie by me that I haven't seen by him or a performance that might blow me away if I see it, but I still yet to see something that I'm like, oh, yeah, he was good. Uh, I just... whatever i can't imagine him as two-faced though that would be jarring because he's usually that smooth silky character right right he's always action jackson that's that's the problem he doesn't have like a sinister side to him he's got partial moodiness which we see in fear city a little bit but he doesn't like he, he doesn't have the it doesn't seem like he has the range to be evil in a movie right yeah yeah he's just this slick guy that is going to outsmart you somehow, but make it in a very smooth way and not lose his cool. Uh, then again, if you think about fucking Tommy Lee Jones's performance in that thing, oh, it's atrocious! It's embarrassing. It's, he clearly <laughs> so... did not know the character at all. He thought, "Oh, I guess the way to be a good villain is to laugh a lot and cackle and throw your head back and be Jack Nicholson." Yeah. 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 No. I know that when um, when what's his name Leto did his Joker uh, for whatever reason, a lot of people started comparing. Well, before did uh, they doing. Did He's got another one coming out. He's going to be back. He's the first two time Joker. How about that? Oh, is is he going to be the in the Justice League? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Because um, like I remember every or, or every time a Joker movie comes out, they, people always compare to see which one's the best one. And uh, I had never really paid that much attention to Jack Nicholson's performance in this, and I liked it way more than I thought I would be. Hmm. Uh, you know, I, I know his gifts, and I've seen clips, but just seeing uh, the performance from beginning to end and the tr- little transformation that the character has where, you know, at the beginning he shows up with that uh, really awesome suit from, I don't remember what comic it is, but like the checkered pants and the top hat, uh, and uh, and then what it, the character ends up becoming at the end, where yeah. um, y- you can tell the character is not he, he can't fight like it's not a strong character it's not someone that's going to overpower you and that's never who the Joker's been even though uh, Jack Nichols is not really the skinny character or the skinny actor that you would think you would uh, cast for Joker, who's always had very sharp uh, um, features uh, at least when they draw it, but. I, I like the psychology of the character and I like how menacing he is while trying not to be or, or while trying to play the jokey side uh, and, and how quickly he can just switch from um, laughing, laughing, laughing. And then the, the psycho bit comes in. Uh, one of the, the bits that sticks out is when he kills his, his first in command where he, Bob I don't know, Yeah. Yeah. He, he gives him some, I don't remember what it is. He gives him something and then he just Bob laughs. Gun. 
and yeah, then shoots right. him. Yeah. And, and then he just shoots him like nothing. It's just not, it doesn't matter. It just keeps going. Uh, and this is the one character that he had interacted with before that we, we, we think that he might care for him. But uh, I, I, I thought his performance was very, very good. And I it was my favorite part of the of the of the whole movie. And uh, I'm sure I'm not breaking any ground by saying this. <laughs> no, I'll more- tell you what. People said that when it came out, everybody was on the same page. Jack Nicholson makes that movie great. And it's his movie. We hardly mm-hmm. see Michael Keaton's... I mean, we, we learned very little about that character in this first movie. Um, mm-hmm. Just enough to give you a sense of what his motivation is and why he's doing what he's doing. And I think that's probably the right move. And that was, that was a deliberate decision on, on the... On the, on the uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? That's just what Tim Burton and I think Sam Hamm, who wrote this script... Uh, wanted to do with that character as opposed to making it all about him, which is obviously the direction the Christopher Nolan films went in right. and uh, bored a lot of people. Anyway, Jack Nicholson. I just, yeah, I just think he had a lot of really little moments with himself uh, yeah. that I don't know if there were there were Tim Burton decisions or if it was the actor's decisions. Probably Jack where, Nicholson decisions. Yeah, where, where you can tell that this character is crazy just because of the way that he talks to himself or just the way that he reacts to things, the, the things that they do when they think no one's watching type of thing, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, it was it was great. I... I uh, I, if I had a ranking of Jokers, <laughs> that I, I don't. But if I did, uh, I, I I don't I don't know. I think I, I like this a little bit better than the um, what's his name, Dead Guy, uh, Heath Ledger. Yeah, 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 yeah. Caesar Romero. Yeah. Uh, that's what I should have said. Uh, no, I I think Jack Nicholson's performance as the Joker is probably the most comic book accurate in terms of the characterization. You know, to what you were saying before, where he's able to jump between these two different variations of his personality. And even if he doesn't have the shape of the Joker, even if they were maybe 15 years too late for that, he still embodies it. And you don't really question it at all throughout the duration of the movie. Um, I do think he is. I I would probably I I, he's probably my favorite Joker. But Mm. a lot of that is, well, I grew up with this movie, so. Maybe right. I'm biased there, but, but but I also think they did a really good job at not showing his like we don't need to know who this character is. We don't need to know who he is before he turned into the Joker. He's just a crook. He's just a you know a gangster guy, and that's it. Uh, and that the 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 not over explaining something that doesn't need to be explained uh, works really well with him, really well with him because it just makes him uh, unpredictable. And uh, you don't really know what you're supposed to expect from this guy. And I think if uh, if we had shown him maybe better at be, being a good person or being, you know, uh, not this guy uh, before he became the Joker, uh, which a lot of movies tend to do just to try to make you care more for the character. Uh, I, I don't know if it would have worked as well as it did with this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that he was kind of a mystery, kind of uh, who is this guy? Like we nobody knows who this Guy that makes everyone laugh and, and, and turn their faces like his uh, added a lot to the character with without having to do much, I guess. Which is funny because at this point in you know comic book history or whatever, there was no real defined origin to the Joker, I don't believe. Aside from the killing joke, 
which was still fresh at the time. That was 1987, right? Or 88. So th- that was only a year or two before this movie came out. And obviously that comic influenced this film and Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns, Batman Year One, probably influenced it as well. It did shift the whole paradigm of what comic books were, right. where this was looked at as cool being the dark, dark comic book as opposed to the pop art, flashy, fun mm-hmm. for the whole family, uh, chi- for children style of comic books. Um yeah, I mean, they, they do strip down his origin some. It is more than what we get in other films and in other mediums right. uh, compared to, say, Heath Ledger's rendition in The Dark Knight or even Jared Leto. We don't have an explanation of Jared Leto's tattoos, of his damaged tattoo or his it's fucked up teeth. Oh, right, yes. Gathering of the Juggalos. <laughs> he got it done there. Uh, yeah. He's got AIDS. So... What did you think of Robert Wall in this movie? Could Robert Wall have played the Joker? Who the fuck is Robert Wall? <laughs> it was uh, Alexander Knox. Let me see his face. Hold on. Let's find that cameo somebody got for for Robert Wall for 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 me in the Facebook what? group. Do you remember this? No. This was like earlier this year. Somebody got a cameo from Robert Wall for me. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. His face, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the 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 news guy, the, the reporter the, guy, Knox. Yes. The, no, he's not good. <laughs> no, he's, he's not. He's annoying. I wanted him to die in the movie. He's the worst. He sucks. I, I think. I'm and I'm glad that they uh, have stayed away from. Well, I guess they didn't with Leto, but. Uh, I think he would have probably played it like Jim Carrey played the uh, Riddler. You know, very over the top, very too much. Uh, we understand he's crazy, but it's too much. It's uh, too much. And and he was too much as that reporter. Like, he was very annoying. He was I, I, every the scenery. He, he was trying to steal it. He was trying to steal it away from Jack Nicholson. This is going to be Terrible. his show. I bet you no. he thought that, too. When he, every time he was on, on screen, he was thinking, this is going to be my movie. Everybody's going to remember me. Uh, no, apparently he sticks out. He sticks out a lot. He, he sticks out as, as, as you know when when you're in a group of people and there's obvious that obviously someone that really wants to have attention but has nothing to offer. Yeah. So it's just being loud, but he has nothing to say. That's uh-huh. that. That's how he feels every time he comes on screen. He's just like, can we just get rid of this fucking guy? He's adding nothing. That's that's pretty accurate. I I mean, the, he must have wooed the cast and crew because originally this character was supposed to die. He was supposed to get off during uh, the whole parade sequence. Right. And instead he winds up surviving and has like the little pin at the end of the movie. And he's one of uh, the few characters to return from this film for the uh, Flash CW TV show, connecting the Burton universe with the Flash CW TV show. Remember, he's reading the newspaper and uh, that's great, right? I don't. I don't know why you say remember. Like I know. <laughs> remember? Like, oh. You don't remember that? <laughs> that was Flashpoint. No. You know. I, I. I'm gonna be honest. I did watch the first season of. It was no and look that and because I like Arrow. That was good. The Arrow first season of the Flash. Yeah. The first. The first. Oh, was it? I didn't think. <laughs> you didn't, I didn't think, think so. Was I stopped watching it. No, not really. No. I mean, it, it, it felt like one of those shows where you're just 
hoping it gets good so you just keep watching it but then every episode that goes by is just like ah is this the no let's just watch the next one and since there's so many because the cw puts out yeah. like seasons of 25 episodes yep uh yeah i i don't know it's not it's not my cup of to tea. me same with arrow i arrow. started well good See that that that's where I'll disagree with you. I don't think Arrow started good at all. Arrow started like they were trying to do. Uh oh, I think we got a connection problem. Your con- your connection keeps freezing up. Um, I'll, I'll disagree with you here. I think Arrow tried too hard to be Batman Begins. That character was nothing like the Green Arrow from the comic books. He wasn't witty or sharp at all. He was just a male model. Flash that first season felt yeah. totally like Sam Raimi's Spider Man. And then they got ridiculous with it, and I was I was out by season two. Yeah, I uh, and again, it just they they, they just end up becoming a CW show where it's very dramatic. Sorry, can you hear that bike? A little it's bit. Just... <laughs> it's all right. We've okay. had so many it's... issues. Just... Okay, it's it's very dramatic on its own good for no reason. So it doesn't really do anything with the drama. It's just two people staring at each other for ten seconds for no reason. Mm-hmm. And I and something that really bothers me about those shows, I don't know if you've noticed, is that the scenes end with people leaving rooms. So you start a scene and it's someone coming into a room to talk to someone, and then as soon as they leave the room, the scene ends. And it's like over and over and over again. So the whole show is just people coming into rooms and leaving rooms, and that's it. Uh, and that shit really fucking bothered me. So no, I'm I'm not I'm not very familiar with Robert Robert Wall. Is that his name? Robert Robert Wall of oh. Arliss. Yeah, you just call him Arliss. Uh, HBO's uh, hit show Arliss. That's head agent, right? Sports agent. That's what he was. Yeah, they just remade that show with The Rock for Showtime. Right? What was it called? It was like Bookies or something. I don't know. Is Ballers. It, uh, Ballers. Yeah. Ballers is wow. derivative of Fuck, Arliss. I never, <laughs> never made that connection before. And now, wow, okay. Yeah, I used to confuse Arliss with, uh, what's the Shaloub show that where he's a detective? <laughs> Monk, Monk yeah. and Arliss. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why. I, just, I don't know. Wow. But I used to, you know, just interchange those two. Mm. Unbelievable. Now, um, one of the things I wanted to say is that uh, I'm a huge fan of the 60s Batman. That was the Batman that I knew growing up. Um, yeah. So uh, I, maybe that's why I didn't really care for this movie when I was younger, because it wasn't the Batman that I knew. It wasn't the, you know, POW Batman. It wasn't the Batman and Robin being goofy and with uh, shark repellent uh, and shit like that. So maybe that's one of the reasons why I never really cared for this movie when it came out. But uh, it's very, if you put it into context, it's very jarring uh, going from one to the other, completely different tone, completely different everything, really, even the, the performances and the characters, the the um, close to the, to the skin suits with people that are not in shape type of thing yeah. that uh, can happen now. Like that would never happen in this day. Uh, but uh, again, like the first, I, I ended up, enjoying batman 89 more than i thought i don't know if i would rewatch it to be honest just because that's i'm a fucking autistic weirdo like that but uh just to to start moving into batman returns um i wasn't as big of a fan of, of that one well hold on hold um, on we still got a little bit more to talk about with 89 okay. first i want to i wanted to just 
get your opinion on what do you since you brought it up what do you think of the fact that michael keaton's batman just added abs to the suit abs that he clearly did not have just, just <laughs> good six-pack yeah. abs well, that, that suit, um, it looks cool, but it looks like the least practical suit that there is. I guess Correct. it's just with the cowl not moving, right? He can't... Soft, thick rubber. Back. It it feels like an... It looks like an action figure. Like an action figure from the 80s where they had no articulation. Just, you know, you can move the arm up and down a little bit and that's it. Like it didn't feel like, like he could have a, a real fight with someone. Like not a... Oof. I can't. I don't think he could have a fight like a Batman versus Superman fight. Oh, you know, well, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, ben Affleck's in the uh, the warehouse. No, no, no. You're still you're still good. You were a little bit, little bit roboting, okay. but uh, it's all right. it's all right. I got most of what you said there. Uh, yeah, I I completely agree with you as far as that goes. I do think, all things considered, though, the choreography of the like the one real fight scene that Michael Keaton's Batman gets into in that alley with the Joker's goons is done. I mean, fairly well. And I don't know. Uh, th- this Batman doesn't really feel like the kind of character that needs to necessarily scrap like that. His whole thing is intimidation yeah. as opposed to actually getting getting his hands dirty. But he's he's scary in a monster kind of way. Yeah. You know, where if he shows up, you don't know who he is. He's just a giant bat. So I'm scared of him. Uh, he's not imposing in any way. I I don't know if he's if he's short, but for whatever reason, this man has always seemed like short to he me. He is short. I yeah. guess it's just because of that. Okay, he's the five vision, ten. The vision or I have of Michael Keaton is just like okay, it's like a little guy, like not not an imposing Batman, but he lives with the fear of you know um, the the. There's been rumors of this Batman thing that comes out at night and catches bad guys, but we don't really know who he is or anything. So he just plays by that. But at no point he feels threatening or he feels like he could beat a bunch of people up like a like um, Christian Bale, who you know, good and in almost perfect shape to be that big bro, uh, brawling. Is that the right word? Brawling Batman? Brawling Batman brawling whatever. Batman, huh? Big, big uh, Batman, just, just big, like, beautiful uh, Batman. Yeah, like what's his name? Uh, yeah, yeah, BBW Batman. <laughs> uh, and uh, same with Ben Affleck. Ben yeah. Affleck is a thick Batman that you like. If he punches you, like you know you're in trouble. This one doesn't really feel menacing at all. Besides, you know the the scary factor of this Batman Bat monster thing, but it works just because of this world that that he creates. Uh, he, he works at just appearing and punching a couple of people and then disappearing again. And uh, maybe that's, that's uh, that's like you said, that Tim Burton decided that, you know, we're not going to focus on his story. So uh, he, he becomes more of like a secondary character than, than the Joker. Um, but it, it works really well. Uh, Jack Nicholson drives the movie and, and uh, yeah, I, I have no complaints about this really awkward um, choice for Batman, especially because of his. Did you not like fucking Michael Keaton's uh, Batman though? Did you did you think that he didn't perform that role as well as he could have, or somebody else might have? The the Batman or the Bruce Wayne? We'll say both. Okay, um, I honestly don't think that there's much you can do with the Bruce Wayne character, um, other than him being uh, a rich, smart guy um, that is very smart. Um, so I, I don't know. A well, lot of his, people complain about the performance. 
that, that they've you, had right. the he, other his ba- characters had as Bruce Wayne. It's just his his characterization of Bruce Wayne is very different from Christian Bale or even Ben Affleck, where you have those two guys playing up to their own like beauty and their charisma and their charm and being like the sly guy at the party or whatever and trying to you know woo people that way. And Michael Keaton's Batman is very uh strange very like i spend a lot of time online and i don't know how to talk to people you know which is what i, I like that i like that extremely online batman. yes extremely online batman <laughs> well, I, they, I like that approach they, to the character they even make fun of him at the party right or is that in returns when no you're right when vicky shows up it's just in the first one yep yep when i think it's vicky the one that shows up and it's like like I'm trying to find Bruce Wayne, where is he or whatever? And he plays it off as not him, just because he doesn't seem like he would be this rich, successful guy, especially because of his hair. <laughs> it's just it looks like it's just been just cutting they put off on top of his head. Yeah. It's just this really terrible hairline for a Batman. But I don't know. I, I like how understated he is and how how odd he seems as a choice for for Batman and. Again, I guess the, the reason why the, the reason that uh, he's not the, the the force driving it makes it work better than if they try to make the movie about them and use this odd casting choice, you know. Yeah, and also, like, let's say that Michael Keaton was acting like Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton's whole persona feels like a very, very toned down Jack Nicholson, anyway, where it's just Jack Nicholson without the strength of that charisma. So to have right. this this guy playing this character and strip that even down, I think is the right move because Jack Nicholson is just going to absorb everything with this film and make it his movie regardless. Even if, you know, his screen time was less to 15 minutes, that's just what's going to happen. Um, yeah, I, I, I think there are a lot of interesting creative choices made with this film, with the costume design. With the set design, uh, not New York City, with Gotham City as a whole feeling like 1940s meshed with like dirty New York City 1980s. I think that's a great choice. Makes it very visually distinct, almost uh, cartoonish in some ways, but in a good way. And that is something that is definitely lost with the second film where it just feels like, all right, so this is 1992. Uh, They don't bother making that sort of decision to mesh two different eras and produce something that feels timeless. Right. Also, uh, one of the things that I really like uh, about this one is that it feels like its own movie and not trying to live off its sequels, yeah. which you really don't see nowadays. Uh, it feels like a movie that was written with a beginning, middle, and end, and that's it, and we have no plans for the future. We're not thinking about a franchise or a connected universe or anything. It's just, just let's tell this story about this character, and, and that's it. And you don't see that now because now, well, look at what happened with the Mandalorian, right? It's the first Star Wars thing that people like in like the past what five years, where everyone like there's very few people that have that haven't liked it. And what do they do? Well, we'll announce ten more fucking shows just in case. Oh, you know, that's you brutal! The, oh, the slate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So now they have like ten or more Star Wars related shows that are coming out just because this one has done really good, uh, and. Uh, and and that's the thing with this one that it just feels like its own little movie. It's it doesn't know if it, if it's going to get a sequel. It doesn't know if it wants to get a sequel. It's just it's just this and that's it. And even 
don't know that Batman Returns exists. Like, it doesn't change anything from it. Like, you don't really need to know any information in this one to move on to the next one. And now, you know, everything that comes out has already uh, a plan laid off before they even know if the movie's going to be successful at all. You're right. You're right. What, what were they talking about? They were talking about the Fantastic Four trilogy when Josh Trank had that. And they announced... All, all sorts of different things like that. And a lot of it doesn't happen. The dark universe we, we've talked about before with the mummy that failed. Yeah. So I think if, during this time, a, a movie like Batman was more in the category of something like Lethal Weapon, where it's like, we could we could make sequels if this is successful, but all we really want is one good, successful film that's going to make its money back and then some. Right. And... This did overperform. It was one of the biggest hits of the year. It was number two behind the Indiana Jones. Uh, by the way, Indiana Jones is coming back, too. Are you excited about this? Indiana Jones number five. Oh, is it? Yeah. Are they going to fucking wheel him out? What are they going to have him do? It's a wheelchair Indiana Jones. Do you think they're going to bring back Shia LaBeouf now that he's been accused? Uh, I don't know. I don't As know. a gangster. He should play a gangster like in that, like in that movie. Oh god. <laughs> the death collector. Yeah. Well, uh anyway. It's yes. just endless. It's just endless. It's just it's just yep. garbage. No. Yep. <laughs> let's just let's just fucking let's just burn it all down. Like I'm so sick of this fucking shit. It's just you can't have one good thing because now hey, let's have twenty. Are they even gonna happen? We don't fucking know. Because we have to go move in my movie. And if one of them is not successful, we might just destroy everything like that universal monster thing. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, I don't we really need, like, who gets excited about this shit, you know? It's like, yeah, we, hey, let's announce 10 series that are coming to Disney Plus with Marvel characters. It's just, like. Here's the thing. I mean, I guess there's people excited about it. I'm just like, fuck it. Like, even, even the Hawkeye one, Hawkeye is my favorite characters in comic, character in comic books of all time. What are you like, and bow I think and arrows? You like archery? Green arrow yeah, and I Hawkeye? Do, I do, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. Uh, and, uh, and they're doing a series with him and the girl, like the girl Hawkeye. So it's just I'm not, nothing against a girl. I don't care. It's just like I just don't care anymore. Like It's gotten to the point where – I'll tell you, I'll like, tell you what the solution much. to this okay. is. The way to fix this – is adjusting the public domain laws where I think Disney is responsible because they didn't want to lose Mickey Mouse or whatever at the time. Uh, Originally, it's supposed to be 70 years in the United States. Anyway, every country has different public domain laws. 70 years after the creator of whatever it is dies, that thing enters the public domain. If that was enforced... And if that was not manipulated to suit these corporations, then nobody, we wouldn't have this problem right now because anybody could pick up something and mess with it and that would immediately lower its value. And that's why they wouldn't be producing 40 of these for the next five years, you know? So if that happens, then uh, problem solved, but that will probably never happen in Disney's evil. But let, again, I don't, I don't want to get too caught up in how awful the future is going to be because we have a great <laughs> film here. We have a very great comic book film that we can unpack a lot of good things out of and then lead into the Christmas film sequel, uh, Batman Returns. Yeah. So, yeah, no, uh, to completely affirm what you're saying, obviously they did not have anything greater in mind beyond one film because they killed Jack Nicholson at the end of the movie. Joker dies. Yeah. And he's the cash cow, really. I mean, not not exclusively, clearly, because this this franchise has gone on to produce a number of different movies. But there's something to 
that Joker character that no other character in comic books really has. And we've seen right. that uh, completely verified in 2019 with the Joaquin Phoenix Joker movie being an enormous success and getting all this awards uh, uh, acclaim and um, the nominations. So, yeah, it, it, it's, uh, it's a bold choice to kill the Joker at the end of this film and also to have Batman kill him, which is yeah. supposed to be a big well, no-no, he right? He kills in this one, right? Hell Multiple yeah, he times. kills. Absolutely. It's just, it's just, we just don't see it, but it's just like, oh, here's a bomb. People explode. It's just like, oh, he's going to keep walking. You know, like things yeah. like that where it's just, yeah, we're not, to, he's not supposed to kill, but well, he gets this, a shit. This, this is a big misconception. This this is, I mean, this, this whole Batman doesn't kill. Batman doesn't use guns phenomenon is something of like the 1960s or 70s. If you go back to the 1940s comics, Batman is killing people left and right. And I think he was you, carrying a gun. Are you, really just, are you really just saying go back to the 1940s? Hell yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you're doing your... the same thing that people that complain about him not killing do. It's just like... that's, hey, that's all right. But I have a position on this. That's the thing. <laughs> is I think Batman should be killing more people. If he put down more of these bad guys, Gotham City would actually be cleaned up. Yeah, you wouldn't need the asylum. Ex- exactly. Get... Shut down the asylum. Didn't Ronald Reagan do that? That's why all the mentally ill people are out in the streets. That's why New York is ruined forever, is the, the Times Square population came from the mental asylums i don't know i thought john Ronald reagan gave crack and aids to people isn't that what he's he did for? he did he was a renaissance man he did it all yeah yeah so, so uh you don't have arkham asylum in this movie because no. he's taking care of business they don't need it yet yeah yeah that's he's, something that he doesn't care that bugged he me he shoots them with his fucking with his fucking uh um, Batmobile, right? He does the bomb thing. Yeah, he yeah. Uh, the Batmobile yeah. kills more people than anything else in this movie. He's a terrorist. <laughs> Batman's a terrorist. So it, 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 I was just going to say this bugs me in the Batman vs Superman movie where Batman does pick up a gun, but he won't shoot the guy with the fucking flamethrower who's about to murder yeah. Superman's mom in the most despicable, violent way imaginable. He won't shoot the guy. He'll shoot his gas tank and blow him up. That's it. That's not committing to it. That's a half measure. In the you in the Dark what? Knight Returns, which they took that from, Batman just fucking blows the guy away. That's what they should have done. That reminds me of uh, you know Jewish people that on Saturday. Why well, no Jewish people? Hold on, hold on. on Saturday, I live in New York. They're not supposed to touch technology or something. What? Uh, but yeah, I don't. There's some type. I don't know if it's Hasidic. Uh, they're not supposed to touch technology or buttons or things like that, right? On Saturday, I think it's Saturdays or Sundays or something. So what they do okay. is they come up with ways to do these things without pushing buttons or without doing those things. Uh, so let's say that there's an elevator in my apartment building. So instead of me going and pushing the buttons, I just get someone else to do it. So I'm still using the thing, but it's not me the one doing it. Right. Uh, it sounds kind of like that. I don't know why you're <laughs> Jewish people aren't allowed to use buttons on Saturday. This is yeah. this is news yeah. to me. I haven't heard this before. Yeah, Maybe I need to read the Torah. I don't know. That's right. Come get your Jewish uh, information from me. <laughs> 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 Who's never met a Hasidic person, but I know this. <laughs> I know. I don't know if it was Jews, actually, now that I think about it. But I saw it in that uh, Bill Maher documentary, that ridiculous documentary. Oh. And it's kind of like a cheat of like, 
oh, God is not allowing you to do this, so I'm just going to try to outsmart God and do it this way. You're going to outsmart God. That's what it sounds like, what you you just said about the the, uh, guns, because it's like, I'm not going to directly shoot you, but I'm just going to make this thing explode right next to you, so you also died, but it wasn't me. That's The most egregious version of this is Christopher Nolan's Batman Begins, where it's him and Ra's al Ghul, Liam Neeson, fighting on the train, and he says outright, he says, I don't have to kill you, but I don't have to save you. And then he just yeah. lets him die a burning, flaming death. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's just like, well, he's dead now. Well, who cares? Yeah. Let's get back to Batman killing. Batman. just bring that back. Who else does Batman kill in this movie? He kills a bunch of the Joker's thugs. He kills the Joker. Um, That might be it. He does. I think he kills more in Batman Returns. I think Returns. it's just thugs, right? Yeah. Huh. In Batman Returns, he kills some yeah. circus people with a yes. with a legit bomb. He kills them with a bomb. Yeah. One guy. It's pretty. pretty yeah, and he kills the. He kills the penguin, right? Uh, no, penguin kills himself. No, penguin. no that's true. Well, that's true. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of another complicated situation. Like similar to this Joker thing, where he doesn't technically, he doesn't outright do it. He just attaches the gargoyle to the Joker. He sends his bats right. off. To the penguin, and the penguin just panics and then dies by accident. So it falls on the thing. Yeah. yeah. So, um, what I mean, what what would you say is a, a highlight of this Batman '89 movie? And also, what was something with it that you weren't impressed by that we haven't already gone over? Um, the one of my favorite moments from the movie was the boxing glove on the TV bit where he's watching the news and he gets really upset about it and he just smashes it with a boxing glove gun that I wasn't expecting. Uh, that, one of the things that surprised me about this movie was those little Joker moments. I, uh, Again, I haven't seen this movie in so long, but those little moments of it's just himself doing things for himself like that, like that, completely unnecessary, but I'm just going to destroy it to you because I'm upset in a very ridiculous he's way. He's an artist. Like he likens himself yes. an artist in this movie, which is a very interesting choice. Um, that, and again, the, the performance is really good, but just those little tiny moments of craziness that he shows in this, that surprised me a lot and made me like it more than I thought it would. Um, I have a couple of things written down. Uh, he's dancing. was great. Yeah. You're very impressed by his way, moves. But yeah. just his, just his dancing, like, how, I don't know. I, I, I just... Well, I, let's, let's I, talk I really real quick about the, the museum scene like... where he's supposed to meet with Vicky Vale and he just decides to kill everybody and turn that into a dance party where he's destroying all these uh, works of fine art to Party Man by Prince, which was not Tim Burton's choice. Again, Tim Burton did not have full creative control of this movie. They said Prince wants to do the soundtrack you have to allow Prince to do the soundtrack. And he had Danny Elfman, and he was luckily able to finagle that into, I'll throw in two Prince songs. How about that? And Prince does like five or six. He releases his own EP of them. Bat Dance doesn't make the cut. I think it's in the credits or something. You don't like those Prince songs? I I don't think they're bad. I don't think... I like Prince. I think they work really well in this context. Though. I think it adds to the iconography of the film. I think it gives it a more distinct flavor and makes it feel so perfect for 1989. It's also not the music that you're expecting him to like. No, you don't see. You don't look at the Joker and say, "Hey, he enjoys Prince music." You know? <laughs> yeah. 
So that that's another, you know, it adds a layer of the craziness to the character. It's something unexpected. Yeah. Uh, Which is something they yeah. veer away from in future films. They try to avoid using contemporary music in uh, Batman Returns. Batman Forever goes softer on that because I think Seal comes up Yes. the end credits for Kiss from a Rose which I think it was it's written true. for for Batman Forever uh, and then Batman and Robin Ooh, is fucking song, yeah. Batman and Robin I think is entirely uh, orchestra but they have like Smashing Pumpkins on the soundtrack as they're running to the camera it's just like oh, yeah at the yeah. end yeah at the, the end. end I think it's with Tarantula or 1989 I don't know one of those songs not 1989. It's, it's a very, it's a very, very close ending. Yes, <laughs> it's a very sad Batman. Yeah. So uh, I, I think 1989 Batman is a tremendous creative success, and it does spawn everything that we're complaining about today inadvertently. But the first thing, it, it holds up really well, surprisingly too. Uh, just because it's yeah. it's such a in a world than the real world, I guess, where you don't really expect normal things to happen or normal things to be there. Uh, so it, it holds up surprisingly well, more than I would say forever. <laughs> that that one I started watching and I, I, I quit within like half an hour. It's, uh, I'm going to have rough. to watch it, but it, it's I, so rough. It is rough. I bought, I bought these two movies and I bought Forever in 4K. And I was thinking, okay, well... And here's the thing with the the Burton Batman films is as I've watched them in different mediums, I've taken away new things from from that experience because every, everything is so creative. There are layers of creativity to, uh, as we talked about before, like the set, the costumes, the acting, the performance, like, all, all this stuff is chock full of um, somebody's singular vision for the most part. And... Forever doesn't really have that. So when I watched these two movies on 4K Blu-ray, I was really taken aback by how detailed everything was just because of the 4K. You're able to make out the the matte paintings in the background a little bit better and just like the enormous amount of effort that went into these two films. And Forever lacks that. Um, yeah. and, and the cheesiness of it is not really enjoyable cheesiness by my standard, <sighs> which made me... every. Shut it off after a little bit. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'll, I'll save it. But we'll save it for the episode. every time. Every time Volker Kilmer was on screen, I wanted to shut it off. He was the worst. I don't Batman. know if it's that. Yeah, I don't know if it's that. I just, I just don't like him, or at least that version of Val Kilmer I don't like. But every time he's on screen as not Batman, I'm just like, uh, I can. He's void of charisma. Shit. He's a very bland yeah. actor in that movie. And I just wanted to clarify also. At the beginning of the show, I said Tim Burton wanted to cast Brad Renfro. No, Brad Renfro was that junkie who killed himself uh, in the in the mid aughts. Who was a kid or something? Yeah, I think he was in Kids and or Gummo or, or uh, Bully. Excuse me. Uh, no, I meant Brad Dorif. All right, Brad Dorif. That's why one flew over the coop. That's what I thought you meant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I thought you meant. I don't know why I attacked him so aggressively and said he was a junkie who killed himself. He did that in real life. He actually died that way. I I was thinking of his character in Bully. Um, I I, I have nothing against Brad Renfro, but Brad Dorff was the the selection that Tim Burton really wanted. And that that could have been interesting in a different way. Um, 
couldn't carry a film like that. Yeah, I really, I really doubt it because he's really good in Cuckoo's Nest. That's the first one that comes to mind. Uh, but I don't know. Again, it's such a weird character, the Joker, where you could do uh, um, something very toned down, like Joaquin Phoenix did, or you can do what Jared Leto did. I'm sure there's people that prefer one or the other, but uh, it would be interesting to see someone like that that's more of a character actor than someone like Jack Nicholson, you know, uh, to to play that character. So that would have yeah, been interesting. When, when the Catwoman comes in uh, and starts interacting with Shrek, and both of them are such typical Tim Burton characters that that's when I immediately knew, okay, so this is, you know, this is, this is when they, when he tells you right away, well, this Max Shrek character doesn't, doesn't actually exist in comics, right? He created himself uh, for this role and, and especially getting someone like Christopher Walken with this odd, enjoyable performance, but it's still kind of odd. And the, the way, the way he looks like with that hair and everything, uh, it's very much a Tim Burton character. Uh, so I think that's, that's that's the biggest difference between those two, just because in one, you can easily tell this is this guy. And on the other one, it's a little bit disguised. Like you can you, you see little moments where you can you can tell, but it's not as blatant as in this one where, you know, like you said, he had more creative freedom to do his thing and, and it shows a lot. A little bit of backstory on Batman Returns. The original script was written by Sam Hamm, who did the first one, and Daniel Waters, who did Heather's was brought in for rewrites and they restructured the script quite a bit. Originally it was, I, I, I believe it was always going to be Penguin and Catwoman, but Penguin's brother was supposed to be Max Shrek in a later draft. But before they even did that, the Max Shrek character was supposed to be Harvey Dent. So you had Harvey Dent okay. and um, he was going to be eventually turned into Two-Face by the end of the film. But for whatever reason, I guess things didn't work out with Billy D. Williams or they wanted to go in a different direction. So they evolved that into the Max Shrek character who's named after the actor who played Nosferatu in mm. uh, that film. With and Andrew. yes, yeah. and that was originally supposed to be Penguin's long lost brother. They wound up nixing that subplot and just made it about him trying to discover his family or maybe this is a ploy so he can garner sympathy the whole plot is stolen from an episode of the 1960s batman series did you know that no where penguin runs for mayor penguin yes penguin runs for mayor and batman decides he's up to no good i have to run for mayor too and beat him that sounds great very joe biden strategy we have a we have a villain (laughs) i have to run to save this country right how would you feel about uh about uh christopher walk and two-face that would be great. For this time, I think that would be great. He would be great as anybody. Scarecrow would probably be best best pick for Chris Ford. Best. Because if they would have just left that, instead of adding Mac Shrek and just, well, we couldn't get Billy D. Williams, who probably would have been really bad. But let's just give the role to Christopher Walken and just let him go fucking nuts. Uh, which, you know, he doesn't really need much help. He kind of does that with his character a little bit. Uh, especially every interaction he has with Catwoman before and after she becomes Catwoman. Uh, he shows like a little bit more, more of a ruthless side than than his uh, 
you know, mayor side, I guess, where he we tries to be fake nice to people. Uh, so it would have been interesting to just see them going with that idea and just have him, you know, go nuts with that character yeah. in that universe, in, in that Tim Burton universe, instead of, you know, whatever Schumacher did with him later. It definitely <laughs> could have worked. You know, it it would do uh, Sean Young a disservice to not mention how she went on, what was it, the Joan Rivers show, dressed up as Catwoman impromptu and tried to campaign to Tim Burton through the television to get the Michelle Pfeiffer <laughs> role. Because she was supposed to be Vicky Vale. She fell off a horse and broke her leg or something, so she couldn't film the movie. And she felt like, damn, I, I lost my opportunity. What do I got to do? I got to go on the Joan Rivers show as Catwoman and say meow and be cringy. Ugh. especially when you're dealing with someone as autistic as Tim Burton, that's not going to work. No, you know, he's not, he's not, he's not that Hollywood guy. That's just going to go over the popular or whoever's getting more attention thing. He's a weirdo that has his vision. And you know, that's, that's funny to hear though, especially her whose career is dead right now. Is well, she still alive? Yeah, she's still, I think she's still alive. She should only be like 60 something right now. Uh, the the most notable piece of work she did was I think she did some reshoots for the Blade Runner extended director's final cut 15 years ago, something like that. Um, yeah, no, she hasn't really been right. up to much lately. And I think she would have been a poor casting choice for Catwoman here if he even remotely entertained that. I think Michelle Pfeiffer does a, a fantastic job in the role. I think she does really great with what she has to play with. I, I don't know if there's much for her in it. And I think she she was campy enough where it worked really well in this context. Um not sure that I cared much about that character, to be honest. And I was a little bit confused at the ending where they just show her popping up on frame. Yeah, she was confused uh, by it too. That was that was a last minute Warner Brothers decision. But uh, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll touch on that in one second. <laughs> What did you think of the origin of Catwoman here, where she goes from, I'm just a cat burglar in the comics, and I wear purple, and I got hair that comes out of my helmet or whatever, and instead becomes, well, with the magic of these cats' tongues, I have gained immortality. <laughs> yeah. Um, not a fan, really. Not, 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 not a big fan. Um, I guess you had to do that after setting up the penguin right can't have one crazy origin like that and then the other one's just well i just like to wear cat ears so it it, it does take a step into the fantastical but it it, it yeah. doesn't necessarily go it doesn't dive in entirely like something say uh, mr freeze mr freeze is very two-dimensional very science fictiony poison ivy same way right instead they don't explain how she has nine they don't even establish really that she has nine lives no. you just find out based on all these murder attempts that uh these are yeah. not working that she's hanging in there and penguin penguin's just a deformed looking guy who lived in the sewer and was raised by penguins i mean what's unrealistic about that you're right yeah he's just a little guy that has a, a black tongue and black saliva and and three fingers and that's because he's Looks been like a, like, eating sludge his entire life. He's been eating people's shit and piss all his life. Eating fish and having no social skills at all. Uh, that was one of my favorite things when they just tried to make him into a, a the mayor or the mayor candidate or whatever. He's just a savage, just eating a fish in front of people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Danny DeVito is great in this, by the way. That's, he's that's, fantastic. That's one of the things that I really like. He's so good in this. 
I mean, he's so good always, but he's such an out there character that it could have gone either way, and and he he pulled it off. I this think. is his. I I would say that this is his best performance because it, it is the role that requires the most out of him that I can recollect anyway from his career. He's he hasn't really ever been given like a real serious dramatic role as like a major character in something. And this is this is the closest thing to something being like starring Danny DeVito, which we've never really had. He's always a supporting character. He eats up so much of the time and he does very well with this character and adds dimension to him when he could easily yeah. be just a cartoony bad guy or a creepy mutant, you know. And and now that I think about it, uh, the choice of making him a mutant really adds an extra layer of weirdness that you wouldn't expect, I guess, from a movie like Batman where not every one of them, but most of the villains at least try to be a little close to reality. Maybe not most of them. Maybe that's just, that's, that's not a, a, a an accurate statement. But when I think Batman, I, I don't think monsters or, you know, uh, mutants or anything like that. I think burglars, I think, you know, uh, more close to detective type of thing than than something like Aquaman. I don't know why you say Aquaman, but you know what I mean. Like, the, if if they had if Tim Burton had uh, toned it down and made him, you know, the origin story that that uh, Cobblepot has, which is just you know a rich, ugly little dude, right? Um, I don't know if it would have worked as well, just because the the monstrosity of this character against Shrek and against what he was trying to do with him works really well to differentiate them into this is one world, this is another. And if he had been just a rich guy that, you know, would have probably been awkward socially, but not this monster, this disgusting monster that is very off-putting and people have to pretend they like him or have to pretend they don't have an issue with his grossness. Uh, it adds a lot to the character without having, again, to do much. Uh, other than, you know, let's just switch the origin story and make him a Tim Burton character instead of a Batman character. Yeah, we don't really see too often nowadays somebody taking an established character that is recognized one way in media and then putting a full-on creative spin uh, upon that character that is going to warp its entire perception. Now, uh, the closest thing I can think of off the top of my head in recent times would probably be Tom Hardy's Bane where, I mean, for mm -hmm. a, a grand period of time you had Bane and a lot of people considered him like a luchador style character. Right. Right. And then you cast him in the role with a specific mask and a specific voice. And that becomes so iconic and attached to that character that going forward, even in like the animated films and whatnot, they steal from that a little bit. They crib it slightly. They don't commit to it entirely. And the same goes with this Danny DeVito Penguin, where you take a look at Batman the Animated Series, and you have that um, Tiny Tim-looking penguin character, right. where he's still an aristocrat, but he's got long hair, and he's got a similar mold and, and look. And then they yeah. abandon that entirely when they revamp the series in 97 or so for, for Kids WB, when they take it off Fox the, Kids. The Batman? No, no, no. The, the, Batman, the Batman goes I probably back to the Danny DeVito one and merges it with some other okay. ideas. I'm talking about when they made the Batman Superman adventures cartoon series. I don't even know that what that is. I don't know if I'm the, familiar with You know how the Batman, the animated series 
animation style changed at a certain point where it became smoother or um, less detailed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When they Brighter. did that change, yeah. When they did that, that's when okay. they alternated the character design. So, what did you all think right. of the fact that we had all these real penguins and little people in penguin suits carrying his body at the end of the film? Sad music. <laughs> it's great. It's uh, again, it's it fits in this world that he's created. Um, I didn't really like the the movie as much as '89, but I think creatively you can really tell that this is someone's vision and entire vision where um he's giving a slate of characters and then he just said well i'm gonna do whatever the fuck i want with them and if you don't like it i don't care this is my movie you know uh and uh, i can really appreciate the effort on that because it, it really shows that he put a lot of thought into who these characters were going to be to fit his vision uh, i just think that the story I, I didn't really care that much for. Uh, I think they focused too much on that Shrek character. Um, and he, he, as much as I like Christopher Walken, I don't think that character was very interesting uh, to mm. be on screen as much as he was. He helped connect the characters, I guess, but I wish they had spent a little bit more time on, on Catwoman to see, you, you know, she became this thing, but the only difference that we see between her uh, and, in her between before the accident and after the accident is that she acts like she's been drinking a lot of coffee, right? She's just like a kind of a tweaker and, and that's it. Um, I kind of wish that the story that we told about the penguin was told about her so that I would actually care about that character. Uh, I felt like it was very much just a side character that less added because it's a character that people would recognize, but I don't, I don't know if he had, uh, much of an idea of what to do with with her. I'm not sure if there's maybe a director's cut or something where uh, oh, no, she's this, more involved. This is the or... director's cut fully. Everything that I mean, okay. Tim Burton had so much creative control over this film that I think the only thing that, and he might have actually signed off on this too, was that end bit with Catwoman's head emerging when the bat signal okay. was out, and that's because they wanted to do a Catwoman film in the nineties and Tim Burton was going to either direct that or write that or produce that. And Michelle Pfeiffer was involved and this was tied up for a while uh, at Warner brothers and eventually died uh, around the same time of Superman returns dying. And then it was revived with Holly Berry, right? Sorry. Uh, Superman lives is what I meant. And yes, it is revived with oh. Holly Berry, which connects itself to this right movie. <laughs> have have you watched? Yes. Have you watched the Catwoman film? I mean, I, I when it came out, whenever that was, ninety what? No, that could have been what two thousand five. Two thousand, right? yeah, it was same year as Batman Begins. Two different directions. Like, Oof. Wow, fuck! What a, when you put those two next to each other? Yeah, I don't remember it though at all. I just remember her in the suit. Like I don't remember anything that happens in it, or you know anything. Just that it was not enjoyable. Of course, it's atrocious, but there's a scene where Holly Berry is going over photos of past cat women from some experiment or what have you, and who comes up? Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman comes up. So, it for much like Robert Wall <laughs> reading the newspaper in the Flash TV series, it connects itself to these two films here. 
Does she also become a cat woman by being licked to la- to immortality by cats? I don't remember. I don't remember, I don't remember at all. No. I, I have no I recollection of the film. I just remember the 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 director's name was Petoff, and people used to say uh, his name is Beatoff. Nice. It was 2005, and that's the kind of humor that was popular at the time. That's still still a good one. Um, I ah, fuck. I, I lost my train of thought. Uh, Holly Berry. Oh, Halle Berry, yes. Um, I My memory with Halle Berry as Catwoman uh, gets confused with Halle Berry in Gothica. Oh, yeah, Gothica? no, same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so I don't remember if one of them gets in a car accident. I don't remember which one of the two it is. And then there's like rain or something. Like that's that's all that, that recollection I have from those two movies. So they just... Robert know, I, Downey I, Jr. I, was in that movie, Gothica, wasn't he? Oh wow! I don't. I don't know. Was, well, Again, I don't have any recollection from her other than it's Halle Berry. <laughs> he race. was he was so down on his luck at the time. He was doing like Ally McBeal, and he was it was like a big thing. It was like Robert Downey Jr. joins the cast of Ally McBeal, and then he did. I, I think he did Gothica, and he wound up doing the Singing Detective or something with Mel Gibson, two thousand five or something like that. The Singing Detective. The Singing de- I think it, I think it's called The Singing Detective. It was like a musical detective film, and it was I think it was released in theaters, but it really went like direct to USA or something. You would expect that with that title, really. Yeah, it's like that cup. Do you ever see that cup show? That's like a musical, but it's a cup show. Yes. What was it Where called? They all sing. Oh, I what, it was what is the show? No, no, it was called. Oh fuck! What is it called? It wasn't called. But, cop yeah, show. it lasted. No, no, no. I think it lasted one season, and uh, it was. Or not even, maybe a couple of episodes, but it's just detective singing about like, <laughs> fuck, what was it called? But yeah, I I, I have no recollection of, of Catwoman at all, uh, which Cop is probably rock. a good thing. Cop Rock. Cop Rock. 1990. Okay. How, how long did that go for? That ran Let's for say. four months. So, so what? Eight episodes? Uh, four months no four months gives you like a full season basically 11 episodes so pretty close okay so we so we have we should uh we should bring back civic tv and watch cup (laughs) (laughs) or something similar i honestly i've seen clips of it and i I don't know if i will be able to sit through half an hour of of it it's so fucking just not enjoyable it's just bad in a way they're just like okay take it take it off it's not not bad enough steven botchko did this what was he thinking that was Randy Newman did the did the music for that show. How about that? Toy Story and what other Hell films? Yeah. yeah, Randy Newman. I don't, I don't know. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, Batman Returns. Yeah, Batman, Batman, Batman Returns. Returns. Should there have been more musical numbers in Batman Returns? What did you think of the circus uh, people? Did you did you like that? Um, they seemed a tinge in, a lot of a lot of clowns. For the circus, yeah, it's kind of like they were like, "All right, well, we don't have the Joker. There's no Joker presence in this movie. What can we do that feels sort of like that? It gives a little connective tissue. We'll have some clowns in the gang." Is that close to when it came out, or am I completely off? Uh, it was two years after. Batman. Okay. Batman so- came out in '89. It came out in '90. Were they? Were they? Scary clowns popular at the time where they would think that, you know, let's, let's make clowns because people are scared of them. 
but maybe I mean it's it's within like a six year gap of killer clowns from outer space and it and then the obviously Joker and Batman eighty nine. So I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. Yeah, I mean they were they were fine, I guess. I don't know. I, I I'm very ambivalent. Is that the right word? Sure, <laughs> I don't know what sure. that word is. I don't know why I just use it. But uh, No, you but, just gotta uh, say words and act like you know yeah. what you're talking about and people will assume the best. I'm trying to sound not like a Mexican, uh, so I'm using <laughs> words that I don't understand. <laughs> now, just the choice um, for a circus gang in this film seems uh, weird. I don't know. Yeah, it, it's it's disconnected from what we are watching, but it doesn't feel weird in that universe. Does that I right? That I I think Tim Burton with his characters is always trying to make them into circus freaks, which is right. so sad when we get to Dumbo when he's working with Michael Keaton and Danny DeVito again. And it, it feels very, I mean, for a late Tim Burton film, Dumbo is actually not that bad. I like Dumbo, but it comparatively, it feels totally stripped of its character that, that he would have probably killed to put onto it in 1992. I'm, never, no, I'm not saying You're that. You're going to watch go Dumbo? With. Go watch Dumbo. That's going to be the next I episode. It's, I don't know it, if I will. It's, it's the Tim spiritual Burns. sequel of Batman Returns. Dumbo. Tim Burton's... Dumbo sounds like a horrible combination of two things that should not come close to each other. Is it all dark and all uh, his, dramatic? His, his modern style is is shit. It's it's, it's sterilized. <laughs> it's, it's it's Disney it's corporate. Completely, completely devoid of what he had at the beginning. Whereas, all right, if we look at Batman Returns as like a hundred percent Tim Burton, then Dumbo would probably be like 15% Tim Burton. Well, that's what he is now, right? You, I mean, you're not going to have... You're not I gonna think have that's high. You're not going to have a Dead with Sister Hands coming out in 2020 right. where it's the most uh, Tim Burton movie, maybe. Uh, and uh, now you get what? Um, what was the... That, he did a, a movie that was like the remake of the TV show. Uh, what was Dark it? Shadows uh, with Johnny Depp. Uh, Dark Shadows, yeah, which completely flopped, and it was kind of Tim Burton, but not really. Like he's toned it down a lot lately, which is weird to think about because he got his start by being himself and putting out things that were very much him. And, and as he's gotten older, where his name is bigger and people recognize him more, he's toned it down. I, I, I don't know why. Like it's money can't be. For my, he has enough money. He's made enough. He wants money. more money. Why else would you work for Disney and do all these big uh, shared universe projects like Alice in Wonderland and Dumbo? I mean, clearly, I think it has to be the money. We, we, I mean, I was talking about this in the group where somebody was posting that Christopher Nolan was complaining that HBO Max is the worst because they're going to bring all their WB movies to streaming, as we <laughs> talked about on the last episode. And it's like, all right, well, Christopher Nolan, you could just go make your own movie. You had the, one of the most or the most successful film in Warner Brothers history, a film that made, what, $2 billion, something like that? Dark Knight? Right. Oh, what do you, how much money do you got? You, don't have, you have $250 million. So the way that you live, that's going to run yeah. out after about 10 years. <laughs> so these, these directors... You know, they can only hold on to their income for so long before they start doing Cameo.com videos saying happy birthday to your mom for $8. Yeah. 
when are we opening a cameo for Headshot? Immediately. Why do you think I'm posting those clips on Instagram? <laughs> trying to remind people what we do it's here. Just, <laughs> it's just me showing my feet. Yeah. With cameo. <laughs> so, um, uh, what do I, so you like the whole Penguin Runs for Mayor campaign, but you think it takes away yeah. from Catwoman? I think no, I don't think it takes away from Catwoman. I, I I think there's not enough Catwoman to begin with for me to give a shit. Uh, for that for me to care about that character doing anything that she does. I, I like the uh Penguin for Mayor just because it was such a two different worlds that live in the same world. You know, there's there's a rich part of Gotham where, you know, there's this very successful people that are trying to prop him up to be the next mayor or whatever as a as kind of like a like dummy right like he's not doesn't really believe in him he's just like a, a dummy that he wants to control or whatever and then you have this monster that lives in the sewers that hasn't been seen ever you know or you know it's the first time that anyone sees him in what 40 50 years how long is it supposed to go by right uh and that those two worlds put against each other i found that very enjoyable um but the catwoman thing i, I just I just don't think there's enough there for me to care when anything happens to her. And I, I don't, I, I, I want to say that Christopher Nolan did a better job with, and what is it? Hathaway with this, um, Catwoman, just because we see her doing more, uh, in this movie, it seems like Catwoman exists just to help the plot move forward and connect the characters. So there's not really much going on for her on her own. You're right. She does feel detached from the general plot. It is more of a triangle between Max Shrek and Batman and Max Shrek and the Penguin here. And using the Penguin and Bruce Wayne as opposites of one another of, uh, you know, wealth and parental abandonment gone two separate ways uh yeah, she yeah. she doesn't feel as connected to that uh and it probably would have been a tighter film without her character in there or maybe if they they did fully commit to doing a, a catwoman solo film and set her up a little bit in that movie maybe that could have worked but what we wound up getting instead i agree it's not the sharpest, but I, I I think it still works. I think her character, if you did reduce her character more so, it doesn't feel like the same film, and it's probably not as good of a movie. Maybe, yeah. I just I guess I just wish there was more of yeah. her, yeah, um, and and less of Shrek. <laughs> I, I wasn't a huge fan of that character. I especially well, I I, I did enjoy how uh, the Penguin uh, caught him in like a a little cage. Uh, on top of what was it that well I don't even remember what was in that water but like he was on top of like it reminded me of a uh, mustache twirling uh, villain from like an old movie where he catches the bad guy where he puts him in a in a you know in a in a cage on top of this water oh your your connection was acting up with Hold penguin uh, your connection acted up I didn't get oh, what no. you just said oh no can you hear me now? Oh yes, you're good now. All, all, where it kind of cut out a little <laughs> bit was uh, where he put him in a cage. Yeah, I really like the the cartoony aspect of that uh, because if you're trying to do this more close to real life movie, you're not going to put this character in a cage on top of water, right? On top of evil water. What do you yeah. want to call it? 
But uh, it reminded me of, you know, 1930s, 1920s villains where they, you know, twirling the mustache to camera and very cartoony, very out there. Um, those little aspects of it I enjoyed a lot. Uh, I just His motivation think- is extreme as well and very cartoonishly evil where it's like, I want to run for mayor, but here's what I really want to do. I really want to kill everybody's firstborn son. We're going to go take yeah. the children and put them in knapsacks, and then we're going to go kill them in the sewer. It's very dark. Yeah, it's 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 very Bible-y. Yeah. Right? Isn't yeah, that what yeah. they do with sure. the firstborn? And... Cain and Abel. Somewhere yeah, yeah. No, yeah. Well, no, no. They I'm kill each other. More of like, I don't know. What's the story where they have to like put uh, goat's blood on the door so that the angel of death doesn't get your firstborn or whatever? I don't know why I'm asking you. I don't know. It sounds <laughs> like, like a Christmas you know, tale. I don't know. Catholic uh, Loris. Uh, but it's 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 very much that. Very dark and very, you know, fitting with this world, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so it ma- it makes sense, yeah. But it, but it's definitely, you know, way more out there than, than the 81 one. It seems like the, the villain's goal is always to do what has been done to them, huh? Joker wanted to deform people's faces and kill them. And Penguin wants to inflict what he had to experience. I think the only difference would be, I mean, what is Catwoman's motivation in this film? She just kind of hangs out a lot. She, she's mad at Batman. She's just mad at Shrek because he's mean to her and try to kill her, I guess. I, I guess. <laughs> I guess he did throw her out of the window. I, I guess she has reasons. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I think it it all works uh, in its own little universe. Uh, there's nothing that feels kind of not a part of this, and and uh, that has to do a lot with his vision, I guess, with with the fact that they gave him complete freedom, so none of the characters feel uh, like they should be somewhere else, like they don't fit this universe that he's created. Right. Uh, so when things like that happen, like what he his goal is you expect it because you know it's this monster that we've set up but someone that has to go had to go through a lot of shit to get to be the disgusting thing that he is now uh so it may it, it would make sense that he would want to do the same thing to them you know it doesn't feel out there at all right so with this movie warner brothers had more of a commercial brain in handling it even though they let tim burton do his own thing and this is like a hackneyed youtube video essay talking point you know as of now but when Batman Returns came out, they upped the promotion of that tenfold where you had Happy Meals with cute little penguin and Catwoman and driving in cars. I, I, I've had some of them when I was a child and all, all, all sorts of like stuff that was very directed towards children as opposed to like a 13 year old audience, which I think the first movie probably did more. And certainly like the Christopher right. Nolan films uh, did not try and soften you know, those movies at all, aside from like children's coloring books or whatnot, but it's Batman. So you got to, it's part and parcel with that. So they really try to market. I remember the story. (laughs) That's yeah. The McDonald's ones. Yep. Okay. So they really tried to market this film, like how they were thinking we're going to do Batman forever. You know, they wanted to plop that onto this movie and the reaction to that with the, at least from like critics and uh, maybe the box office didn't do as well as it could have, even though it was still a big success was that this seemed a little too extreme for children at the time. 
Batman Returns? Yes. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> yeah, it's dark as fuck. It's darker than the first one. Um, yeah. So it, it makes sense that there would be a little bit of, yeah, that. Even though, we, again, we don't see blood. We don't see any anything too graphic other than if you're grossed out by the penguin, I guess. But I don't know if I would say this is a movie for children, just like the Nolan trilogy is not really a movie for children, not because they can't watch it. I, I can see a kid enjoying this way more than the Nolan ones. I can't see a kid finishing a Nolan one just because they probably get bored. But this one has enough colorful things and graphic things where they would be, I think. Uh, but at the same time, I can see little pussy kid getting scared and terrified of, you know, the, the graphic nature of this movie in a, in a, not because of the violence, not because a lot of gross things happen, but just the penguin character. It's kind of, kind of creepy, you know, kind of unsettling. Or Max Shrek uh, being kissed with a, with what, like a taser to his face and turning into a skeleton from yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. I, oh man, that reminds me, kids really were, I mean, my generation especially was really where it started to get soft. I remember I was in sixth grade and I was talking about Spider-Man movies with this kid, Tom A. Hearn, who was known for having a giant head and a lot of moles, really gross kid, Tom A. Hearn. And he said at one point, you know, the Spider-Man movie was really good, but it got kind of scary when he, the Green Goblin crashed into grandma's house, into Aunt May's house. And I was like, scary. <laughs> <laughs> Sixth grade. Yeah, this scary like... your face, face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I should have said. They should have had a villain called Mole Face, and you should have played him. Yeah, it's you, and that's a villain that has the power of grossing everyone out. When they see <laughs> Unbelievable. So I can only imagine how you know if you you plop that onto the you know. Children of today, Batman Returns. You sit down a, f- a seven-year-old who's grown up in the public system of of nowadays. Yeah, probably be terrified. I don't know about now because the internet, right? Maybe I can't imagine. I can't imagine growing up as a young kid and having access to literally whatever you want in the palm of your hand. Because now parents are giving kids cell phones younger, right? So. Yeah, no. but they're not going to live leak. They're going to like X tube I mean, or they're dro- deviant art pornographic cartoon if images. Weirdo, if you were a weirdo kid like me who was watching fucking Two Girls One Cup and showing it to literally everyone in my family, my grandma saw yeah. this thing, <laughs> my parents, my I showed it to them. Uh, this is gonna really date me, but I showed it to them on not like you guys don't know that I'm old as fuck, but. Uh, MSN Messenger. Uh, I, I sent it to them, and I was watching them in the little camera thing. Yeah, I don't know if you remember, like a little, just like a little square where you could a see them. Webcam, and sure. When I sent them to my parents, it was the two of them sitting and just like, oh, this is going to be something, you know, interesting, funny, or whatever. And then my aunt and grandma wanted to say hello to me, so I just came into the room. And I was just like, ah, not oh, when they're. No. They just watched oh. lesbians eating shit, <laughs> and it was yeah. So uh, if you have a, like a weirdo kid like that with the access, that's the thing. I I didn't have access to any of that shit growing up because the internet was really early. So you could get images. Like you can find videos as easy as you can find them now. You have to go to like Rotten or or 
I don't even know what all the website. RateMyPool.com. Yeah, that was that was the one. Com, where you see an Asian man eating a baby. Uh, yeah, that that's my generation. Yeah. Anyway, I remember yeah. I was I was with two other guys and we had a an aim group where it was like, all right, we're we going to send the worst, most violent videos we can find on the internet. And I think it ended when we found that one Russian snuff film with the screwdriver, one man, one screwdriver. That's a rough oh, one. Yeah. That's a really, that's the one with the homeless, right? No, he wasn't homeless. He was like a regular dude. And it was two Russian teens. This really turned me off the Russians for a long period. Of they time. were, they were Ukrainian. Yeah. 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 They, they, they hammered a guy in the face. Is that the one you're talking about? I, I don't know if it was... A, I don't know. It doesn't matter. This has nothing to do with Batman Returns. Also, I love how you prefaced... We got a pizza? Is that what's happening here? Unbelievable. Somebody ordered a pizza in my home without informing me. That must be the wrong wrong apartment, right? Wrong delivery? I don't know. I thought we were eating healthy these days. Anyway, um, I love how you prefaced, oh, yeah, not that you guys don't know how old I am. You said, oh, the Batman I grew up with was the 1960s Adam's Batman. So I just, I couldn't adapt to the 1989 Batman as well. Batman the Brave and the Bold is my my favorite Batman. Yeah. Do that with what you want. Sergeant like Rock and Batman. Mixing both like old ass humor. Oh, yeah. boy. Um, so I had something to go with with Batman Returns. Oh, okay. So needless to say, they wanted to go in a lighter direction. Tim Burton got a whiff of that, hopped out, and that's why they gave it to the most flamboyant gay man in Hollywood, Joel Schumacher, who I suspect was sucking off the two Corys on the set of The Lost Boys based on choreography, Corey Feldman's biography. <laughs> Yeah. Have you, have you listened to the audiobook of that? It's great. I did, yeah. And uh it's it, you know what it, it it's indulgent, but it's something. It's really it, it was I thought it was a good read. I thought it was very interesting choreography. Uh oh, your mic cut out. You read it? I, I I read it and then I listened to the audiobook later on. Wow, I didn't know you were such a Corey Feldman fan. I was I was a big fan of the two Corys, to be honest with you. I really <laughs> liked I'm serious. I was really and not even not even like in the eighties where I wasn't even born yet. Like in two thousand four, I was really into the two Corys. I liked The Lost Boys and Stand By Me and uh, you know, License to Drive. And then I, I remember watching the A and E show, the, the two Corys. With Nicole Eggert, with both of them fuck her, and it's just yeah, just a movie of them two having sex with her for no reason, and they're terrible actors. I, yep. I can't believe that you were for the two Corys. There was something, uh, something light, something fun and mischievous about the two Corys. Uh oh, I just got an alert. I don't know if we're gonna get that on the video. My headphones are going to die, says Hans. <laughs> um, all right, so let's we'll wrap up the conversation on Batman Returns and. Um, Hope for the best. So what else do we really have to say about Batman Returns that we haven't touched on? I mean, what did, what did you think about the change in Gotham City? Uh, great. Um, I don't know if... Uh, I think I might have heard this in when I was in college, uh, that he based a lot of the architecture on, on old... Uh, what's this fucking move? Cabinet of Dr. Caligari? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That, that That's a, an influence here where... Right. There was obviously a change from Anton first with the first movie. They had to do something different. It feels a little bit more modern, but it does have that vibe to it. Uh, German expressionistic uh, tendencies are found throughout. Very the sharp, sh- very sharp buildings, very sharp everything, and 
the then the, I feel like the snow was a very nice touch to add, um, even though you know it's, it's it's not a it's not a plot device. It's not anything that let's say adds to the story or anything like that. But it just adds a, a little layer of more personality to the city. Uh, just seeing everything covered in snow or, or as it's snowing when all of these things happen. Yeah. Uh, and I think visually is more interesting just again, because of the Tim Burton thing, um, where he gets more freedom is more interesting than the first one. I just don't know if the story is as good. Um, right. As the eight and one, that's, that's the one thing where I'm kind of like, I like the eight one nine one a little bit better, but, but it's still enjoy, especially in like the saturated world of superhero movies that we have now, these two feel very detached from everything that's going on now. Uh, I understand that with this one, they had more of a plan about, you know, what they were going to sell or to do with it, but they both still feel like their own thing, uh, which you don't really find nowadays with this type of movie. I completely agree with you there. And I, I, I suppose, yeah, it is interesting that even when they were thinking, okay, we're going to turn this into a franchise, we are thinking about part three at this point, that... They still let Burton do whatever he wanted with it. When there was so much on the line financially, they had that much trust in him. And I just, I can't imagine that ever being the case today where wow. yeah. everything is, you know, driven by algorithm. Um, it could have been interesting to see what his version of Batman Forever could have been like, or his version of Cat, or even, I, I would have been down for any of his superhero films. Uh, Superman Lives. In 1997, right. and how yeah. I think there was talk for a second about Michael Keaton reprising the that would have been so confusing for people in that day and age when you have George Clooney the same year as Batman, <laughs> yeah. and then Michael Keaton Batman, yeah. they couldn't fathom uh, venturing out or rebooting. And now that's really all they do. If you don't have the principal actors and the director and writer on board, you're just going to reboot it and tell the same story again, and then veer off yeah. in a different direction, like the Spider-Man movies. Yeah, just show Uncle Ben dying again for the twentieth time. Yeah. I know there was talk for a second about them doing, you know how they've done a Batman 1966 comic book series once they obtained that yeah. property back? They were thinking about doing one for Burton. There's even a pitch for it that is out online with the characters in that style. And that could have been interesting to see um, his version of Batman Forever that way. Or maybe if there was like an animated film sometime down the line, that could be fun similar to what they did with the 66 batman william shatner playing two-face and then joel schumacher i mean we'll get to this with with his films but he wanted to do batman 5 as a comic book as early as a couple of years ago before he died this past year oh he's dead did he die of what did he die of uh cory hames killed him i think i don't know complications of uh of sleeping with fifteen thousand men something like that (laughs) strange Strange cough in the night with an ass full of AIDS. He bragged about the amount of men he slept with. His body count number is extremely high, but it makes you think. I mean, Hollywood, the Hollywood level is clearly different. How many guys did Joel Schumacher get fucked by? How about fucking Joel Schumacher's uh, less than zero? I would have liked to see that. That could, that could, hey, for, for the time, that could have been interesting. That could have been different. Uh, 20,000 men, he said, he's been with. Oh, wow. Sorry, no, he also specified sex and partners. So, um, okay, 20,000 men, how many 
10,000. Rest in peace with his blown out book butthole. <laughs> it's, it's the biggest part of his body when they when they perform the um what's the fucking word? Why did I forget the word? God damn it. Aut- autopsy. Autopsy? The autopsy. It was his asshole. That I, it was too like a long road for me to get to the joke about him having a big ass because he fucked twenty thousand men. Anyway. <laughs> Rest in peace, Joel Schumacher. Rest in peace, Joel Schumacher. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Um, any final thoughts on the on the two Burton films? And how do you feel about the fact that Michael Keaton seems to be? I mean, th- things could fall through. He was set to do that Kong Skull Island movie up until the last minute, and luckily he jumped out of that. That f- piece of shit film. Can't believe that guy got Metal Gear Solid. We're gonna get little Oscar Isaac is Solid Snake. Anyway. <laughs> What do you think about Jordan? What's his name? Jordan Roberts? Peele. Jordan Peele. Jordan Peele's the Flash. They were going to give him Akira for a second. Hear me. My shit just died. Uh, one second. Oh, he can't hear me. I could say so many All bad right. things about Hans right now, and nobody. Oh, hi. <laughs> anyway, I uh, hear you. You can't hear me. Just, just take the headphones out. We'll wrap up in these last five minutes. If we get echo then that sucks, but um, not the end of the world. If I can't hear an echo, then we're good. He can't hear I'm giving him direction right now. He can't hear me. This, this buffoon. Uh, take, the head, take the headphones out. Headphones out. Unplug. That, that, that's what I'm trying to do because it's Bluetooth. Like, for whatever reason, my sound on my computer now is not working. Um, so I can't hear anything you're saying right now. What about this? You can't hear this? No, he can't hear this. End this. Uh, speakers. Anyway, I'm just gonna talk. I'm just gonna talk, Hans. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, it would have been interesting to see if uh, Tim Burton had gotten Billy D. Williams and and uh, Robin Williams for his version of Batman. Oh, one thing that we had glossed over was the fact that Marlon Wayans was cast as Robin in Batman Returns and, and gets paychecks to this day. We almost had a a very different version of Dick Grayson. Oh. Did you discover your, your error here? Can you hear me? I, I can hear you. Okay, I figured out what happened because my microphone is plugged into the headphone port, so it's, it won't be able to. Anyway, yeah, I should I should probably Because <laughs> my speakers on my computer are also fucked up, so if you talk right now and you can hear it, it's just, they're blown out. Say something. Well, how about this? Every single time I talk, you should mute it so there's no reverb, and we'll just do a quick wrap-up, okay? Great. Okay, so I was just talking about, you couldn't hear me, I was talking about Marlon Wayans being cast as Robin in Batman Returns, and that would have been, that I think would have made it a big mess, because we were talking about how Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman hardly fits into the dynamic that has been established between Batman, Penguin, Max Shrek, to add another factor into that. I mean, the Dick Grayson character was even in the Batman 89 script. If you own the DVD of that or the Blu-ray, there's a little animatic that shows Batman chasing after the Joker on horseback after I believe the museum visit and Joker runs through a circus or something that's in town and winds up killing the Graysons. And that evolved into, I think Dick Grayson being more of a Jason Todd character in the original Batman returns script where he's kind of a street kid. No one's looking out for him. And he joins up with Bruce Wayne toward the third act of the film and assists in taking down Penguin and Catwoman. 
I, I, I don't know if I would like to see Don't Be a Menace, Robin. You know, the street uh, Marlon Wayans, Robin. Yeah, that probably would have been a, a huge miss. That that ended up working out better than than uh, it would have. Don't you have a, a documentary on, on this on, on YouTube? Yes, I do, actually. As a matter of fact, I completely forgot I even did a document. It's been so long since since that. But yeah, I, I there's not really a comedic relief in this film. So I would imagine that he probably would have served that function. He probably There was a lot of films like that back in the late 80s and early 90s where you had the one ethnic kid who would be the punchline factory. In Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, you had, what was his name, Short Round? That's very inappropriate these days. Uh so Marlon Wayans probably knowing his career and how, you know, he belongs to a very famous comedic family. He probably would have served that role in the film. Uh, I don't, can we talk about what's happened to, uh, uh, fuck, I can't believe I just forgot his name. Robin and Batman forever. Where is he at? What's he up to? He's a lot better off than Jim Carrey is right now. I'll tell you that he's doing NCIS LA with LL Cool J. He's been doing that for like 20 years though, right? Yeah. All those CBS procedurals will stay on the air for 20 plus years. They learned that they it's just easier to keep the same cast and do the same show for two decades as opposed to rebooting it like JAG. JAG turned into, I don't know, it, I think that turned into NCIS because they use a lot of the same people for that show. King of Queens, King of Queens That's turned into... come up with, with, a, with a series that has a very simple concept. We're just a, a group of characters that we're going to have to be ourselves for 10 years and try to sell it so that we have a job forever. Yeah, we got to do Trailer Park Boys. They, I'll tell you what, Trailer Park Boys, I mean, before the director of that, that show hopped off was great. It's watchable now and like a familiar, like, this is easy to have on the TV. These guys are likable enough. Their new season coming out is kind of clever. It's going to be different. It's going to be them in prison for the entire season to get around. What's his name? John John Dunlap or whatever. Whoever played Mr. Leahy died. Their, their, their way of getting around him being dead is to just have it take place in prison, which is... I think an interesting approach and could be good. And also like imagine if we're able to come up with something that we can milk like they are with this trailer park boys thing with, because trailer park boys came out what in early two thousands, right? Yeah. Like 2000, 2001. And it's a very simple concept that they just did really well and it worked and they're still milking it 20 years later. So that's, that should be the plan. That's what we should do. And if those guys actually moved to the United States, I think they could they could venture out beyond that. But because it's Canada, you know, the industry is so much smaller. You you, you can get away with doing that for a long time and not face any real criticism for it. Um, I think the only other thing that I remember any of them doing is uh, Ricky, whoever plays Ricky, what's his, I don't know, his actor name, is in Hobo with a Shotgun, which I just rewatched recently. And he's only in it for a short period of time. And he, he just feels like Canadian Danny McBride. Do you get that impression at all? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just just kind of like the, the guy that plays the ratneck to a perfection, uh, but Canadian, yeah. Exactly. Um, anyway, do you have any final thoughts on the Burton Batman films so we can close out this show? Or before your Bluetooth headphones had died, I asked about what your expectation was for them revisiting the Burton universe if Michael Keaton signs on to do that Flashpoint movie. What do you mean revisiting? So like, do uh, I? I I don't know if you can do it without Tim Burton. 
because it's just going to feel like an imitation of what he did. So if they're going to do that, they should get him involved. Otherwise, it's just going to feel like a fan film of those two with the actors, you know? Yeah, I think it definitely runs that risk. Uh, it's probably impossible, though, for them to get Tim Burton because I, I feel like he's got one of those Clint Eastwood with Warner Brothers contracts, but for Disney, I don't think he's done really anything else. He did Big Eyes, but that was Miramax or, or Lionsgate or one of these companies that's an affiliate of the Disney Corporation. So I don't think he's going to be able to escape that, unfortunately. It would be great to see him mess around in that world again, do something like that. Or even if it's just they finally put out that Beetlejuice sequel they've been working on for, for ages. Something in that tone would be nice, but uh, I think it's unlikely. Right now they have big plans for Michael Keaton, both in this Flash movie and also just taking over as Batman without Ben Affleck being involved. So so they're doing this Flashpoint thing, like they're doing the Spider-Verse thing then? Well, they 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 came up with this idea before any sort of Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield coming back thing, which I I don't I don't feel good about that personally. I don't like that it's on Disney's terms. If this was hey, if this was a Columbia film or Sony film, I would feel excited about that because they did well with Spider Verse. When Disney is not involved with Spider Man, that's usually a good thing. Venom was pretty watchable. It was a fun dumb '90s action film. That was fine. Everything Tom Holland and Disney, I'm I'm done with that. I can't be bothered. I I, I still haven't watched the last one just because I really and Spider Man was a character that I used to like a lot. I just don't care. And and again, uh, the oversaturation of everything. It's just even characters that I used to like. I have no interest in watching anymore just because you know exactly what you're gonna get from it. You know exactly what the tone will be. There's going to be three acts, and you know exactly what those three acts do, and you know how the characters would. Nothing is surprising about these movies anymore where you could predict what's going to happen in them without having to see them. And then when you see them, you're like, ah, there it is. Exactly. Yeah. Nothing interesting about it. So that concludes our Tim Burton Batman retrospective for today. Uh, I do feel like if you're into these, check out maybe mask of the phantasm feels still i mean they tried to capture that bat uh batman tim burton vibe with that animated series and the character designs it doesn't feel like tim burton's batman it feels a little i don't know it's different but it does feel like it's still in the same general sphere of this whole thing that he created that he ushered in at warner brothers with these two films uh it is not the best batman film regardless of what these awful gross nerds want to tell you and say Mark Hamill's the best joker he's not he didn't play the joker he never was joker he never will be joker cuz he just did a voice and that's not the same as acting yeah i i i agree with uh, <laughs> i agree though hey you know who the best batman is it's kevin conroy kevin conroy is the best batman did you know that this man with a giant mole on his face He's the best Batman. Yeah. He was great on wings. The, the problem with him is that they could never build a mask that's big enough for his gigantic head. <laughs> so he could never be. They actually, well, they had him play Batman on the Flashpoint uh, show for the CW, but they didn't put him in the cowl. They gave him a, a metal vest and they made him grow a beard to hide that mole. Uh, now, uh, one thing before we wrap up, if you, if let's say that, um, I really like these two movies, and I want to watch something similar, but live-action, live not animated. Is there anything that comes to mind other than something like Darkman from around uh, that time that you would recommend? Hmm. 
That's that's a good question. I know that the there was a live action Flash series in the '90s, and the pilot and some of the Mark Hamill episodes where he plays the trickster kind of feel like they were going for this, but it doesn't quite doesn't quite hit at all. To be honest with you, uh, I mean, there's a it feels like there's a lot of not knockoffs, but things that were directly inspired by this movie in the '90s. But I don't know of any that nail it the same way that Burton did with Batman, certainly, and to a lesser degree, Batman Returns. Makes me think of yeah. makes me think of like the Phantom with Billy Zane. You remember the Phantom or uh, what was it with Alec Baldwin? The Shadow. I was, I was <laughs> the Shadow. I was thinking more Mania Cop, maybe. That's a, that's a little extreme. That's kind of over the top, <laughs> though, don't you think? <laughs> if you enjoy Batman Returns, go watch the Mania Cop movies. They're, they're pretty good. <laughs> Yeah, Salo. Salo, too, feels a lot like Batman Returns, the expression at German, you know. Anyway, that's been movies for this week. We'll be talking about the Joel Schumacher Batman films very soon. And I, I what do you think about this? Because I know you haven't finished them yet. Do you feel like Suicide Squad is like the end of that trilogy? Like it feels like that's an extension of the Schumacher films? But uh, this movie is not really funny at all, Batman Forever. Nope. It's, it is such a turn from the last two movies. And I know, obviously, that's very obvious. But you watch this movie, and, you know, I was saying on the last couple of shows, I was like, Batman Forever still has a bit of the tone that Burton, you know, captured in his movies, that essence. It doesn't. It really doesn't. I was wrong about that. Uh, I was misremembering because it's been maybe about five, ten years since I watched this movie. I just watched it in 4K uh, since I own the disc. And no, they abandoned everything that was serious and great about those first two movies. This movie operates on its own logic. It's it's little kid yeah. logic. Little kid mentality. Cartoon brain is what I call it. It's uh, It removes the personality of the first two had uh, completely and, and he just turns it into a <laughs> dramatic for no reason uh dramatic cheesy... but, but stupid too dramatic yeah. but stupid yeah. so you have this the human relationships which we're supposed to take seriously but the nemesis is like the riddler right he's leaving bruce wayne riddles and he'll open it up and then you know it looks cool or whatever yeah but it's something like yeah. Uh, I, uh, I, I, you won't see 13 on my face and you have Bruce Wayne literally explain the riddle in real time. 13, yep. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, <laughs> 11, 12. It's a clock. It's yeah. like, oh, oh, it takes, oh, genius it takes philanthropist. Two to <laughs> it takes him two minutes to figure out his riddles. Uh, of course, someone it, has it, to ask, what does it mean? Right before Alfred, he... Yeah. He counts down, yeah, and it's like this. This is stupider than the cartoon that was airing during this time. Also, you have Nicole Kidman, who in the entire performance is just a porn actress. Yes, yeah. She's yeah. just. It, it's. Right. It looks like it's just a porn actress because she's constantly looking at his lips, which fine he's got gay mouth so throughout the whole movie you just see pursing lip batman uh but 
her entire acting is just overly sexualized, but not really. So it's overly sexualized with the way she speaks because she like whispers everything and she's always looking. It's at all it, ADR like, to too. That, that's the thing. Yeah. So she's talking, but then in post, she's like disconnect <sighs> for every single line. And it's very yeah. distracting. It's um, it, 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 it's very like it, it disconnects everything that they're trying to do because it, it, we're supposed to believe that this Batman or this Bruce Wayne character is very interesting and in that as, as soon as she sees him, she's immediately wet, right? Because um, that's that's her character. It's just, I want to fuck. I'm going to fuck Batman. Kiss me and fuck me here. Oh, Bruce kissed me and I want him to fuck me now. You know, like that. Her, her whole performance is just porn star Nicole Kidman. But it doesn't fit in this universe at all. No. And especially when, when, it's, uh, when, when you have the suits... Um, like at times I thought I was watching like a, a porn parody. The acting was so bad. It, it was dramatic in a in a soap way. So I don't know if it was just that that uh, Schumacher just watched the old show. It was like, hey, let's just make this in the you know in the nineties or bring it up to modern times. But the the humor, I, I don't even know if it if it. Like I'm trying to think if it had any type of humor or any type of moment where you feel anything other than uncomfortable, because there, there's a little bit of banter there between Batman and Robin before Robin becomes Robin, but it's just it's who gives the shit dialogue. Like no one ever says anything interesting ever, and then you have so so it's a very who I think and I think you said this before. Val Kilmer is the worst Batman, by yes. the way, that that I've seen. Like hor horrible, even Clooney. At least he's charming. Uh, Clooney can brings something Kilmer. to the role. Clooney himself has a charisma to him that right. works for Bruce Wayne, and I don't think it really works for Batman. But I don't think he's the lines are bad. The lines that he he's yeah. giving are bad. He is not necessarily bad in the movie. Val Kilmer is a void of charisma. He just sucks all the energy. Out it of. looks like he doesn't want to be there. Yeah. It looks like he's being forced to get in this suit. He's being forced to stand around with his coat, you know, with his big coat. Uh, and, and every time he's on the screen, he just, yeah, like you said, he just sucks the energy out of the room completely. And you don't want to see him. Like, I, and I don't know if you want to see anyone. I don't think anyone puts in a, a good performance in this movie. Uh uh, we, no. we mentioned, uh, I, we mentioned I, honestly, uh, Tommy Lee Jones who's, Jones, who's one of the greatest actors ever. And he's what the, is this? One of the worst. He's you know? one of the worst in this film. Just, I actually think, I think Jim Carrey gives the best performance, even though you can't stand him. I think he's at least trying. He's doing something with the role. Well, and, he goes all out. Yeah. yeah at least you can he, appreciate the commitment. He carries the film on his back because nobody else is, people are either not really? firing at all or they're misfiring in their roles like Tommy Lee Jones is where he just does not understand the character of Two-Face at all of Harvey Dent. Do you like how did you like how the whole time. Bruce is rewatching his acid burning and how Batman's just apparently sitting in the courtroom and he just jumps over a bunch of people and he's too late. Batman's just sitting yeah. in court watching this trial. That's very peculiar. Did you how do you feel about Drew Barrymore's career that she was relegated to his one of his girlfriends and she barely has any lines in this i didn't even know it was her until uh, like i saw her and i was like that kind of looks familiar but i don't think they would use her for that who gives a shit role she and was down is. on her luck at this time so she comes back in like 2099 by doing charlie's angels and then she winds up getting a whole bunch of movies from that and dating tom green 
So she's a relevant person five years from the time this movie comes out. But at this point, she's not old enough really to be taken seriously as an actress. She's a little too close right. to her, her child stardom days. And also she just went through like a big drug phase. So she was probably, right. this was probably a big break for her at the time. Yeah, that was kind of sad. It made me kind of sad a little bit because uh, I, I'm i sure this movie was huge. I haven't actually looked it, it was. up. It was. I think at the time, this might have topped the original Batman or, or its second uh, in terms of gross revenue. It did exactly what Warner Brothers wanted it to do following Batman Returns. Yeah, but I... And... Uh, Remember how I mentioned that uh, I'm a fan of the Robins? I hate what the, the, they did with the one uh, what on they call screen it? Robin, Chris O'Donnell. They call Dick him Grayson. they call they call him uh, Richard Grayson, kind of like a nod. You know, oh, come on, Richard, and he's like, ah, Dick, right, right, guys. You know this Dick guy. I thought he was awful. I I hated him on screen. I he felt too much like a kid sidekick. You know. Uh, which fine if you want to do that with Robin, I get it. But, but he's thirty. This, he's an old. But he's man. A, exactly. He's a grown man. You know, he's he's goes around in his motorcycle, being all cool for the nineties or whatever. They do, and it's like which the, one of the two you want to do? The Beverly Hills nine hundred two one zero thing, where they overcast somebody who's meant to be like seventeen years old, and he's right. clearly like twenty eight, twenty nine, and Val Kilmer at the time is only like thirty five. So you're seeing a guy who's like trying to be a father figure to a guy who's like three years younger than him. Yeah. It's yeah, very yeah. awkward. It just seems gay. Val Kilmer seems yeah. very gay in this movie. Yeah, this gay mouth. He's got mm. those lips. Which is crazy. And here's the thing. Michael Keaton has big puffy lips. And yet that was never that distracting when he was Batman. Yep. Val Kilmer has normal lips. And he's like deliberately <laughs> trying to imitate Michael Keaton's face. Just pouting the just whole Elliot time. Roger mouth. There's every time there's a close-up. It's just why are you? Why is Batman so sad? Just pouting the whole time. Do you know why Joel Schumacher? What his reasoning, his public reasoning anyway, was for adding nipples to the bat suit? Yeah, he's gay. <laughs> he was a gay man that died. No, <laughs> no, no. He was. He said there's a close-up. Wanted... There's a close-up of Batman's butt in this. Movie. Yes, when he's su- they do this up, in, just... in Batman and Robin as well. They'll do. You know, the arm, the leg, the cow, the ass, the nipples, the crotch piece. Uh, yes. Uh, he said he wanted the suit to be more ape-like, more gorilla-like. <laughs> your so you your face nipples? to that, trying to copy him, the notion of bat ape, you know. I don't understand it either. It's because if I think of an ape, I don't think nipples. I think, think long arms. Nipples. I think fucking strength. <laughs> I think annoyance. I don't I, think maybe that's what he was nipples. trying to do. He wanted Batman to seem stronger, you know. So he gave him nipples, right? Okay. Maybe I yeah. Let's go with it. Sure. Why not? I mean, they did it in two movies, so I guess it's 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 very strange because Joel Schumacher is actually a competent filmmaker. He does The Lost Boys. He did Falling Down. He did The Client. He He's done serious movies. He did Phone Booth. And yet, he, as soon as he got Batman, he was like, we really have to flame it up with this movie. And obviously, it, it just gets worse from there with Batman and Robin. But 
at least that owns it more. This movie feels like it, it can't commit to the camp right. that's in the movie. It's trying to disguise it with serious drama. And by the time we get to Batman and Robin, that just feels like an episode of the 1960s TV show. Right. And they do the typical, you know, I'm misunderstood. So I'm just going to show up to say hello before running away. But I want you to stop me from running away. I'm just not going to pretend that I don't want you to. And then he's like, hey, you like bikes. I have 300 bikes. You want to have a look at my bikes? And that's, that, hey, that's it. We bonded. Yeah. I just Google, I just Google, do bats have nipples? And the first thing that pops up, it's a slate.com article from 2015 that says, uh, perhaps it's not so surprising that they have awesome nipples. <laughs> oh, so, <laughs> typical yeah. journalist. Yes. Yep. So, uh, yeah, I don't think you, you had to go to, uh, gorilla to justify wanting to see nipples on the bat suit. Uh, but yeah, I, I agree with what you said. It, it, it's, it's difficult to try to figure out what tone they're going for uh, because at times it's very cartoony. I think that Batmobile is horrible. It's my least favorite. It was it, built it just... to be a toy. Oh, I guess that makes sense. Uh, the reason why I dislike it so much. It has a light in the middle that has no reason of For the kids existing. to press the button and it lights up. And lights up, right. Uh, it's the worst Batmobile. I, my, my favorite is still the one from this from the sixties, just because it's such a unsafe car. Like it would not be good to fight anyone. It's a convertible and everything, so it's just. And then the design, I like how retro and shitty it is. But this one, as soon as it popped up, it's supposed to be this really cool reveal of this Batmobile. It looks like shit. It looks too skinny, and the light sucks. Uh, uh, I did like his cowl a little bit better than than keaton's just because he could move his head so it makes sense uh but there wasn't anything about this movie that was exciting or that uh, cool that you were like oh cool they're showing me this thing it might be that i'm just um overexposed to so many of these things where this it doesn't really this was, um, I mean, this was a big event film, you know. This this was I mean, everything in this film was looked at as cool in the ad campaign because you had U two on the soundtrack doing uh, "Kiss Me, Kill Me, Thrill Me" to like Jim Carrey and Batman fighting and all the hard cuts, and you have posts with Chris O'Donnell in the boxer pose. It was right. I mean, you couldn't go anywhere without seeing a billboard of this movie. Or they started well, ushering they, out Batman Forever Pop-Tarts, cereals. This thing I remember popping up everywhere. Just the yeah. interrogation sign. Like that was right. Like Something sure. that was lost with Batman Returns that Batman 89 nailed. And I think they get back to it with this movie is the iconography. The iconography of Batman Forever is absolutely strong. And that riddle baked into the Bat logo can, could have been found anywhere. They did intense marketing for this movie and it paid off it was a huge success and it was one of the more well-liked batman films to a point until we get to the christopher nolan era where people i mean look actually people will still defend this movie i remember because i was big online in the early aughts trying to find batman news when i was like 10 years old there was always a guy on batman Bye. on film called jet and everybody was like batman forever sucked batman forever is a piece of shit 
and the admin of this website, the the one authority in Batman news would always go, no, 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 no. Actually, it's more in line with the comics. And that means it's good. One of those people, just like how Stephen King's The Shining 1997 right. is better than the Kubrick one because it's more in line with the book. Missing the point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, uh, I, I guess times were different because I, I don't see the appeal. Uh, of this movie, uh, uh, it's possible that I, mean, I, can't, I can't think of what other superhero movies of the time. I guess like you mentioned, the Phantom, right? That was one. The Phantom. The what was that? The Shadow. The the Flash pilot. They all they right. kind of meshed. Spawn. They meshed together. The nineties. What a time. The nineties. Terrible for superhero movies. Though. Yeah, but yeah, I mean. If you're if you're living in the '90s and you got Batman Forever, you got Batman Returns, you got Spawn, you got all these films, you're probably I mean I was pretty happy with that. Even even if they weren't great, even even if they were more stretched out, they weren't very serious. I was still pretty content with how things were. Uh, to, like I was a child, be, but I was the prime demo for these films. And to be fair, uh, at that time, nerd culture wasn't cool. So the fact that you got that many movies right. was like, oh, great. Like, these movies are not for – we're not supposed to be for anyone but nerds until they did something like they did with this one where it was just a product, right? Yes. In retrospect, uh, so- you would get one big actual superhero property maybe once every five years if you were right. lucky. And most of the time they were terrible. Like, The Punisher was terrible. The Fantastic Electra. Four – yeah, well, that was that was two thousand. That was like two thousand seven or something. Oh, okay. Um, uh, Fantastic Four was Makes too terrible worse. to even release. So Batman was the real franchise uh, that would get these movies, and then you would get the little ones like the the Phantom and whatnot. And Spawn was big in the nineties, obviously, and they just rushed that movie out. They had to get <laughs> that that sealed up, and it was what it was. Yeah, uh, they didn't do any Superman films during that time. They tried with Superman. Uh, lives and i don't think there was any plans for a wonder woman movie or the flat or any other characters it was all batman it was always batman marvel wasn't even on the radar james cameron was going to do spider-man with leonardo dicaprio and i think arnold schwarzenegger was going to play dr octopus and then that fell apart that sounds not great i guess skinny young dicaprio uh, it would be different, but I can't see Schwarzenegger. Uh, it, it, isn't it funny how Schwarzenegger was seen as a an actor that you would want in your movie, even though he can't act, just because of how iconic he was? He I mean, was I guess be, he still is. He was going to be but... Dr. Manhattan in the Terry Gilliam Watchmen movie that was going to be in the 90s. He, was, he right. was attached to everything. He was the go-to guy for any sort of role that required even a little bit Muscles. of muscle. Yeah, Dr. Right. Octopus, schlubby guy. Arnold Schwarzenegger. That actually sounds like it, it would be interesting, that Watchmen, with that director. Because of how, Maybe. like, it's just, it, it, it it's like the interest that I had for that um, Bowie. Uh, didn't Bowie did something? Uh, ba- no, Dracula, right? David Bowie? Right. Uh, Merry Was, Christmas, he do, like, Mr. A Dracula Lawrence. Movie? Great no. gay film, great gay Christmas what am I film. Think, what am I thinking of? Where it's just, it's two different worlds that, you know, you don't can't really see how they could mesh together, but 
something like Watchmen is weird enough where I could see it working. Uh, the, with the, the director versions of Watchmen they were considering, though, only got worse with time, which is why I think Terry Gilliam wound up abandoning that. I know in the early aughts, they were thinking about making Watchmen set in the present day, so like 2003, and the Iraq War would have been a big part of the movie. Mm. And that, I can't imagine, would be palatable. Oh, they got Marlon Wayans to play... Marlon Wayans. Uh, to play Rorschach. Uh, <laughs> would you rather Marlon oh, they... Wayans as Rorschach or as Robin? As Rorschach, because I don't have to see his face. So it would work better. Like It would be more physical role than... His face being... So the black skin would be repulsive on any Robin. Got it. Okay, great. I can, Yeah, you can, you can print that. That's fine. I'll tell you what. Back in the day... Back in the day, I made up a rumor on a message board. I think I've talked about this before, saying that Christian Bale auditioned for the role of Robin in this movie. And this was back in like 2002, 2003. I said, that, I said this verbatim. I made it up just to see... If people would take it as fact, and they did. And then eventually, I remember one of my proudest moments as a boy, I, in like 2005 when Batman Begins comes out and he plays Batman in that movie, um, a reporter asked him, oh, so it must be really something having auditioned for Robin 10 years ago and now you're playing Batman. <laughs> and he's like, I didn't audition for Robin. I would never audition for Robin. And I was like, wow, I did that. I did that. <laughs> well that was what american psycho christian bale if if he had auditioned for that right uh, a little after newsies so he probably would have been about 20 years old christian bale did american psycho in 1999 so he's he's getting kind of okay. older he was in his mid-20s at that point and i think he was mostly known for his he, obviously playing patrick bateman but he was also known as being like a, a real big asshole to people who would just like want an autograph or a photo? Oh, really? Yes. What, wasn't he like a kid actor too? Like, yep. He's acted. Oh, doesn't he have like a very sad war movie or something? Empire of the Sun. That's a Spielberg film with John Malkovich. Right. He plays uh, a, a young orphaned boy in that movie, and then he does Dark Newsies. Yeah. Newsies in '91, or think, or '90. Yeah. So the time timeline would have made sense if you're casting Chris O'Donnell at age 29, at age 36, to play Robin, the boy wonder, the orphan, boy you wonder. Did. So now you have, if you ever meet Christian Bale, you can be like, you remember that question that you got asked? You know who lied about, about you? You know who tried to <laughs> sully your, your reputation as an actor? Me, I you did that. You try to make it seem like you would audition for this shitty Robin role? That was me. Yep. Message boards. Uh, what, what else can you say about this fucking movie? It's, have you oh, seen... Hold on. Have you seen the deleted scenes? No. Oh, I, wait. I have. I have seen one where he's in the Batcave and a giant, the giant bat, bat. Yes, I've seen that one. So it's terrible. Not long after <laughs> they said the Snyder Cut was going to get greenlit, Joel Schumacher, I guess before he died earlier this year, was talking about, oh, yeah, my original cut of Batman Forever would have been so dark. People like me, the, the message board nerds, have been talking about Schumacher's cut for ages. It was called the Red Book cut originally. And there's like a there's an edit that uses the deleted scenes in the movie and makes it longer and tries to replace elements of the score with the Danny Elfman score from the first two films, not 
I think his name is Elliot Goldwaith or Elliot Goldenthal. I don't like the music really in this film. It feels a little too operatic in a bad way, very right. two-dimensional. And I, I, he, I, apparently it's supposed to be darker or something. It just seems like more of the same to me. Seems yeah. I, I kind of like the do. giant bat a little bit because it's just something surreal and different. But on the whole, nothing's being added. But you have similar scenes here, though, uh, that just go nowhere. Um, there's one scene where he's at the girl's house. Can't remember her name. That was how memorable her porn, uh, I, I, this porn actress was. But uh, Chase Meridian. Sh- that sounds like a hotel. Uh, but uh, she drops off or a flower falls in his in her house and then he gets a flashback of a flower falling when her his parents how many times do we need to see this boy's parents killed this is completely unrelated we're not talking about his background we're talking about his origin at all he just gets random flashbacks whatever something similar to what happened that day happens and that that was very for, it felt very forced to me, very jarring because okay. we know. So on that note, yeah. they served a greater purpose in the original cut of the movie. So originally, I, what the, the idea was that he was being eaten up about the fact he killed so many people in the first two movies. And it starts to seep into him that he's enacting the same things that he, he suffered as a child. Even if they are criminals, even if it's just a penguin's goon or whatever, they don't explicitly say, you know, Joker's henchman or whatever, you know, who who's blowing up in that first film. But the idea is him turning over a new leaf here and making a firm stance, which is why you have Robin being like, ah, I want to kill Two-Face. Well, he quits, right? He quits for like five minutes. Yeah. So he does the Spider-Man I- 2 arc. But hold on. On that note, just before we lose this, he does reprimand robin for wanting to kill two-face and he's like we can't kill there's a no kill policy and this is like the first time it's really implemented in a mainstream property i think outside of the comic book where it's established like batman doesn't kill even though he he winds up killing more in this movie he kills two-face at the end of this movie (laughs) fucking he does the same shenanigans like i don't i'm not gonna kill you but you don't have to reach for all these coins even though i know you're gonna do it i won't put this bottle of alcohol in front of you and give you your car keys but if you die on the road, yeah. if you plow into some children on a schoolyard, that's on that. I had nothing to do with that. <laughs> well, it makes sense though, because what you're saying about that original story having more to do with that, because there's a bit where he he's telling uh, Alfred when he realizes this, that you know his the Dick Grace's parents shouldn't have died. Like he should be the one that dies or whatever. And then he says, I killed them, right? Uh, talking about his parents. And then Alfred said, no, no, but you said you killed them. And then he just gets quiet for like five seconds. And then we cut to the next thing. Like we just move on from the fact that this could be a torture. Hey, there's something interesting here that we could do with this Batman. And we just move away from that. And it's never really brought up or never really go into what's going on in this guy's head. But then you have flashbacks, like the one with the flower. There's another flashback with a book that his dad used to write it into or something that are just completely out of place, and they do feel a little surreal, like a little dreamlike. But if you're not really going into that, it, like they're just filler. You know, it never feels like it's connected to anything 
Uh, and it just feels like that I that I killed him thing. When he said it, I was like, oh, okay, so hopefully they'll do something with this because this could be a setup for, you know, uh, uh, let's give Batman some character because he has nothing going in this movie at all. The, what's his, his uh, like, what does he have to do besides stopping the bad guys whose plan is really weird too? You know, the Riddler's plan is what he wants to become famous and be in everyone's TVs. And then Two-Face is just a bad guy that wants to know who Batman is. Yeah, Two-Face's motive makes no sense and it doesn't coalesce with the Riddlers at all. He just kind of joins with him for the fuck of it. Well, it's because he wants to kill Batman, right? So when, when the Riddler shows up, He's like, no, all I want to do is kill Batman. And then the Riddler says, if you help me, I'll get famous and we'll know who Batman is. But that's it. So the whole motivation of Two-Face is just, I'm just right. bad there's, guy. There's no, there's no greater incentive there. Plenty of people have wanted to kill Batman. There's yeah. tons of villains and criminals in Gotham City. If it's the Gotham City that you know we're supposed to be familiar with, why does it matter that this guy in a green outfit also wants to kill the same guy? Especially if he's not... I mean, to Two-Face's knowledge at that point, uh, uh, proven efficient in any regard. He kills his boss. Obviously, Two-Face doesn't know anything about that. I love how they chalk yeah. it up to, well, looks like uh, looks like it was state-of-the-art CGI with him running out the window. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and uh, also, uh, it, I, because this Nygma character, right? He goes what from- character? Nick, Nick <laughs> Edward Nygma. <laughs> um, he just, it's just a switch. Yep. He goes from this weirdo, like, loser, and then Very Pete all of a Davidson. sudden it's this, yeah, this, exactly, this mastermind, this weirdo that has a bunch of different suits with lights, which I'm sure was another marketing thing of, like, make, trying to make him Boy. an icon or whatever. But also, I don't remember the Riddler ever being this, you know? Like, this, uh, this hmm. It's because, uh, I, I, or at least maybe I just haven't been exposed to the character enough. But Well, Frank Gorshin every, every... from the 60s show was, I mean, look, he wasn't as flamboyant, but he was pretty flamboyant. He wore a skin-tight green outfit and was over the top as well. But Jim Carrey is obviously Jim Carrey. So you take that uh, initial 1960s rendition and you infuse that with Ace Ventura Pet Detective, you get this over-the-top, hyperactive uh, uh, maniac. But who wasn't flamboying in that series, though? That's the thing. Every character was a little bit exaggerated. The Joker was, you know, his mustache and everything. Um, in this, like, I think that's that's my biggest issue with this movie. It's just that we're supposed to focus on this villain because he, he is the main character. He's the one that we see the most. He's the one that has a personality. So Batman serves more as like a, I have to stop this guy, right? But you 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 go a little bit into Batman's issues and like the things that Batman is dealing with and this weird romance that feels completely forced, but none of that gives the character any type of depth or anything that would make me give a fuck about any of his decisions. So then at the end, you have a villain that doesn't really have anything more than I want to rule the world, very general you know, wish. I think, it, hold uh, on. I think, I think his actual motivation was that he had a sexual obsession with Bruce Wayne and he wanted to be Bruce Wayne. He was doing like a single white female sort of deal, which is, I mean, he kind of half succeeds in that he does 
garner some somehow he just skyrockets his respect overnight with this product and becomes a successful millionaire and very powerful person in gotham um and it's all because bruce wayne rejected him at his job at the beginning but did he though he just said he I brushed can't him off. He, he, was, he didn't want to. Yeah, you know, he did like the famous guy thing. You know, he big shot at him. He didn't have time for old Edward Nigma at, at, at in the cubicle. <laughs> he didn't want to check out his little project. The same thing is like, oh, no one you want to read my script, Hans? Hey, I got a script. You guys would love it. Could you just read my script? Yeah, yeah, sh- yeah. sure. Later, later. Sure, that's fine. And so you're gonna try to kill me? You're gonna wear light up suits and get a, we- <laughs> a weird, yeah, a weird tower that's very tall, specifically so that you can fall. Correct, right? Like, yeah, I um, the the motivation wasn't there, and his plan was too, it was too cartoony. Um, so the tone of the movie was very confusing. I, I didn't know if I was supposed to take them seriously. Because the, at times you're supposed to believe that Batman is this very, you know, tortured guy. And then, you know, there's the deaths of the Grayson. So you're like, okay, so at least we saw someone die on screen. So maybe we're supposed to take this seriously. And then you have this clown jumping around with a plan of I'm going to rule the world uh, wearing the most exaggerated type of suits and hair stuff. And then at the end he's deformed and he's temporarily just... temporarily deformed R- right he goes away somehow uh and then he does the i'm batman thing um i i there was nothing in here for me <laughs> which is really weird to say i could not care about anything that was going on there was nothing that grabbed me uh like in the at least in the first two movies if, if the story is not the greatest story to tell there's visual things that grab you. There's character things that the characters do that grab you, that keep you interested. Here, even visually, it wasn't interesting. You know, uh, it didn't. Have- I don't. I don't think it's. I think the problem was more that it wasn't as defined as the Burton. I mean, even when the the production designer on that first Batman movie uh, passed away and did not do Batman Returns. You still got a sense that Gotham was like they were going for something with that that felt very German expressionism era esque. And then with this movie, it's not quite fully formed. I I do like some of the use of the lighting with Gotham City and their attempt to try something different, a little more colorful, but in a more saturated but not too too over the top way. I, it, that's one thing that I think is one of the few aspects of this movie that is not over the top is the actual setting of Gotham City. It's a lot of reds, a lot of black. Right. Um, so I, I, I think that's interesting. And maybe just because I have the 4K disc, and I was able to analyze the matte painting backgrounds a little better than I did when right. I was watching it on VHS tape. Uh, but that aspect to it, I don't mind. I don't mind the fact that they have like neon gangs, um, even if they are yes. corny, you know, in 90s. Yeah. But it, it's fitting for the time. So I don't dislike that aspect of the movie. But I, I just think that coming out of the Burton, especially Batman Returns, that's so visually interesting, you needed to either push that forward or turn it into something darker. Because this one, like, I just don't think that it knows what it wants to do. So 
it, it, it goes crazy whenever the Riddler is on screen. Uh, and this world that we're living, uh, where Batman is, that's a little bit, like, let's say, darker, like more real uh, or realistic than the, the Burton ones. But then you have the Riddler who exists in his own universe with his own lighting, with his own everything, that those two just don't, never really seem to fit together for me. Right. You know, it's very jarring, the, the, the two so sides. I, I, I think it's two things. I think, I think two things are happening mm-hmm. here. The first thing is that the movie has an obligation to be something to Warner Brothers, right? And they have to meet that quota in certain ways, like changing outfits in the third act to sell more toys, the silver outfit Riddler, and Batman gets a new swimsuit. And that one's actually better because there's no nipples on it because it has some giant emblem, you know, that, that wasn't there before. Robin has a new outfit, too, that has a little bit of silver in it. And then you have Joel Schumacher as the director, and it feels like Joel Schumacher cannot decide. Like, he does not have an uh, uh, crystallized vision of what this movie is supposed to be. He's thinking, I should dig back into Burton a little bit, but I want to do the 1960s as well. And I want to do my own version of Gotham. And it just comes across as a little too chaotic, especially when combined with the fact that you have company obligations to meet a certain demand with the toy companies. Right. I'm looking at the toys and they're pretty shit, by the way. So it wasn't oh, even worth I that. loved them when I was a kid. I had all of them. I had four different Batmans <laughs> painted in different colors. I had like a purple, green, blue, red. Yeah, I had a giant collection of Batman Forever toys. <laughs> I was like that with Ninja Turtles. Batman toys. I had a couple of Batmans, but it, it was always funny to me that... Well, I guess they did the same thing with Ninja Turtles, where they would just give them suits that are nowhere we just come up with suits so they would have a different one using the same action figure. Yep. Uh, so yep. you have Batman with like blue, like light blue accessories or like yellow accessories. Different paint job. That That's seen. all. Make yeah, yeah, four yeah. times yeah. the amount of profit. The action figure industry of the 90s, I mean, that that must have just been pure bank. Because what, what else are children doing? They don't have, I mean, they have Game Boys and stuff, but really... I, I, I remember mean, how much was a Game Boy like five hundred bucks. Wasn't yeah, it? yeah. So you think it's inexpensive. NES was expensive as fuck. I you could go. Like, you could go to Target. You could. I mean, Target was that even around back then? You could go to Kmart. You could go to Bradley's, and there would always be an action figure aisle that would be lined with toys from all of these different comics. So, yeah, that that is clearly where they found a lot of the money to make these movies. Um. Batman Forever. I, I don't know. Oh, okay. I don't. I don't hate the movie. That's that's one thing. I know we're bickering a lot about aspects of it, but I didn't find myself hating the movie. I just thought this. It, I mean, it's a mess. It's not a traditional mess because it's not. It's not sloppy. It just doesn't have an identity. It, it, it's, it doesn't work. It doesn't. It, work. it doesn't have any. Yeah. It, it just. It feels like it's trying to be too many different things that don't fit together. And right. I don't know if I'm going to feel the same way about Batman and Robin just because it's been years since I've seen it. And the only thing I know about it. I don't think you will. Or... I have a suspicion that it's going to be more cohesive than Batman Forever because at that point, it's like we're all in on this one thing. And on that's Schumacher. right. They're, right. They're, they're still, again, juggling two different, too many different aspects of what this movie is trying to be. By the time you get to Batman and Robin, it is full camp, full cartoon full over-the-top bright colors. I'm kind of interested to see what my take on it is now because it's been a while since I've actually watched it. I, I probably watched it. Do you think this... I'm going to 
think I'm going to like it better than this. Yeah, I actually do. Knowing your taste, you you like the campy stuff. So yeah, I, I I've been known to enjoy. You're some more forgiving camp. of it than I am. So I I I think you'll probably like Batman and Robin more. And I have um, quite a bit of information about what would have followed Batman and Robin if Joel Schumacher had his day, and even if he didn't. I know he has long talked about, oh, if I had done the next one, it would have been dark. It really would have been dark that time. I would have, got, I would have done my vision. And I just don't believe that. I, I don't buy it at all. I think he just says whatever's convenient for the moment. He did a commentary track on Batman Forever and Batman and Robin that was literally him apologizing for both movies. <laughs> so, was this after Batman Begins came out? Yeah. Yeah. So Of course. Actually, it, it might have been the same year that Batman Begins came out that – they reissued all four movies on DVD in like a special DVD box set because to that point you got like little cardboard flimsy DVDs. It was a different casing entirely. It felt very cheap and there were no extras at all. There wasn't even theatrical trailers. It was always just production notes that basically gave you the actor's IMDb credits. So in 2005, they reissue the movies because Batman Begins is coming out. Tim Burton does a commentary on his two movies. Joel Schumacher does on his two movies. And Joel Schumacher's commentary is like, yeah, I get it. These movies are bad. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to ruin the Batman franchise. But listen, if you don't have Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, you don't get Batman Begins and Dark Knight, which then mm-hmm. means you know, maybe the film industry wouldn't have dove headfirst into the cash cow of superhero films and we wouldn't be living in the culture that we're in right now. So double-edged sword. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, Batman Forever. Um, it's the worst Batman movie. I even like the the one that um, Burt Ward and... and uh, how did I forget his fucking name? Adam West. Rest in peace. Adam West. Uh, even that movie is enjoyable just because it is what it's supposed to be. Yeah. This one, I just, I just don't think it works. And I, I'm sure I like Batman and Robin more just because I know what I'm getting to. Like, I know what I'm going into. I know that it's catchphrase galore. You know, everyone's got their corny lines or whatever. I didn't really have much of a memory on this one, so I, I didn't know what to expect. Uh, I thought I honestly thought that it was going to be more campy than it is just because of Shumar. But but uh, yeah, I think it's uh, personally the 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 one I liked least uh, from the Batman movies that I've seen or Batman related things that I've seen, really. Um, And uh, yeah, I, 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 I specifically wanted to point out one part that made me cringe really hard, which is when Joel Schumacher is trying to convince us that folding clothes is cool oh yeah I, I, honestly <laughs> i took note of that and seeing like oh. the water dripping and him you know Ooh. doing his moves and it just why unnecessary so we're supposed to that's supposed to let us know he's equipped for crime fighting he's equipped for beating the shit out of criminals it's like alfred he's like let me take care of your your laundry and he's like no i'm gonna do it and he karate chops socks and shit he's just like what is this and there's rock music playing in the background while this is happening it was just like what what the fuck is what so Uh, the movie in a nutshell is that it's (laughs) something very corny yeah that's trying to convince you that's really cool but it's really not yep yep that's (laughs) correct that's that's very accurate um, 
I don't think it's the worst Batman movie. I won't say that. I do think Batman and Robin is probably... I mean, if you count Justice League... If you count movies with Batman or Batman characters, that's a different conversation. But right. of the of the movies titled Batman, I think it's probably Batman and Robin. Really? Yeah. I, I mean, look, as a Batman movie, it is definitely the worst Batman movie. As an, okay. As a piece of entertainment... You could maybe make the argument that Batman Forever is worse, maybe. But I, I'm not even sure about that, to be honest with you. Um, right. And then, obviously, that's excluding all the animated films, which, you know, there would probably be a stack that would come before this. But um, not good. Know. Not very good. Uh, not not hateable. If you can shut your brain off, if you're one of those people, I'm not one of those people. I look down upon those people. Uh, then you'll love it. You'll 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 have a great time. You'll have a wonderful time at the movies. You'll go on eBay to buy those Riddler toys. <laughs> that was one of the things. Oh shit! I just remember something that really bothered me at the beginning. Why did he have a Riddler bubblehead before he became the Riddler? That's it. Hey, that's a great point. I was thinking about that, so I was like, <clears throat> okay, so is this like Gotham? The t- I mean, it does feel a lot tonally like Gotham, the Fox TV show. Uh, oh, did God, he just take oh, his yeah, identity? Now that you mentioned that, now that you mentioned that, yeah, he feels like an episode of that. Thing, Gotham, yeah. Gotham, and Suicide Squad feel like they are part of this universe. In my, I've, I, I still haven't seen Suicide Squad. Real, okay. I, 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 I saw half hour of it, and I was like, I'm. I, I think we got to make that part here. of this retrospective. I don't know. Oh, you're gonna make me watch it. <laughs> okay, all right. It's bad, but, but it's similar to probably what Batman and Robin is, which is watchable bad. Uh, and I've softened on suicides. I, like again, it's still very bad, but I, I, I think it's so retarded that it's actually kind of okay as like a, just a dumb watchable movie. Um. What was I saying? Oh, yeah. So the Riddler just stole his identity from, what, Matthew Lesko, the the Get Rich Now guy? What What is what is the Riddler outfit that's in the thing and the bobblehead? He's obsessed with some kind of character. And then he well, takes... Well, it's just there. Yeah. Like, he, doesn't, he never talks about the character. He's just a... Uh, uh, it, it, what's the movie? Big, right? It's a movie where he talks to the thing. There's a gypsy. The thing it's the same big. thing, yeah. Yeah, it's the same thing, but he's dressed like the Riddler. And then... He has like a little bubble head that's a Riddler before he There's goes more. crazy. There's more stuff. There are like pictures on in the his wall. House, right? Yes. And his, his, his hole house in the is wall. covered on. He lives yeah. beneath a train station in like a, in like a janitor's closet that is right. very long. And you have all this Riddler stuff. So he takes his identity from something that already exists. That is never explained at all. Right. We never know who that guy with the hat and the red hair is, but all of a sudden he just becomes him. Uh, I was very confused by that at the beginning. I'm, I'm glad I remembered. <laughs> yeah, that that was that was pretty terrible. Um, I I don't know. I have nothing else to really say about Batman Forever. I think we've summed up. But also, actually, one other thing. Real? Oh, you can't see it, unfortunately. Uh, Pete see. Holmes. It's just Pete, oh, Pete wow. Holmes is eating, eating these guys. Oh, can you see Two Face? No, that's a Riddler. Damn, I saw it for a second. Anyway, anyway, you know what? It doesn't really matter. I'm just trying to point out that they are poorly photoshopped on the Blu-ray cover that I'm holding that you cannot see. That is maybe... that like hol- hol- holographic, like back in the '90s, where they would just put a an it image. So... Yeah, the the outside case is, and then the the interior case, which I don't know why I keep holding it up because you can't see it. Uh, 
is even worse because with the holographic, it at least offers a little, a, a slight bit of drop shadow to these right. very like cookie cutter characters on the cover that are not well photoshopped out uh, at all. And then on the just like the flat version, it's bad. It looks really bad. I don't know who's in charge of making cover art at Warner Brothers. They need to just restore the original videotape covers. Those were good. I'm not familiar with those, but I, I'll take your word for it. It's all right. It was a bat logo, and then it was all the characters for the other ones. They would show all Are they the characters. Running? Are they running towards the camera? Oh, like that the, was uh... so bad. That was so bad. <laughs> I forgot. I've referenced it on the last one, and then I forgot about it in the moment when I was watching the movie. And then they cut to them in like a photo studio backdrop scene where they're running at the camp. It is bad. And then U2 kicks in, and then you get amped. Then you're fucking ready for the next one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because that happens on the next one. That's one of the things I remember because there's the girl, right? The Batwoman Batgirl, girl. That, Batgirl. Uh, who... No, Batgirl. Not a woman yet. Right. Right. No, she's not Batwoman. That's Ruby Rose and some new girl on the show. Uh, Batgirl, who has always forever been Commissioner Gordon's daughter, is Alfred's daughter. Alfred's granddaughter? I think he's just... I think it's just his daughter in Batman and Robin. No, Alfred... Alfred fucks. He's like 75, but he's still fucking. <laughs> Some, yes. Someone, even though he spends his full time with Batman. But Oh, wait. No, no, no. Hold on. Sorry. My mistake. It's his niece. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. He's a bachelor, Alfred. Yeah. Just like uh, the people who wrote the script. The bachelors. What are their names? Let's let's name them and shame them. Who wrote this script? There's he, no credits on the back. Oh, is wait. a bachelor like, like Liberace was in those... TV shows, those talk shows, where they'd be that's, like, when are you getting married? That's Batman like, oh, in this movie. That was Val yeah. Kilmer throughout the entire duration of the film. Lee Batchelor and Janet Scott Batchelor. And uh, The Kiss of Death. I bet you their script was fine. But when they brought in Akiva Goldsman, that guy is the worst. Akiva Goldsman was one of the screenwriters. He also wrote Batman and Robin. And I think he wrote a recent DC or Batman superhero film. He did. He does all the terrible movies. Akiva Goldsman. He did the Dark Tower. He did. I think it's I Am Legend. Cinderella Man. Cinderella Man. No, he got he got an Oscar for I think something like A Beautiful Mind, and then everybody uh, hired him. Star for... Trek, fucking Star Trek Picard and Discovery. Yep. Ugh. He is the worst. He is the worst screenwriter in all of Hollywood. Even Alex Kurtzman, who I know you have <laughs> fond feelings for. Uh, uh, pales in comparison to this Akiva Goldsman, The Da Vinci Code by Ron Howard. How about that? Great. Yeah. iRobot. Dr. Sleep. He wrote Dr. Sleep. Are you kidding me? Oh, he did. Oh, yes, wow. he did. <laughs> That's remarkable. Jonah Hex. Deep Blue Sea. <laughs> they just keep giving him work. That's great. Good for him. Good for Mr. fucking Jew from New York that controls everything. <laughs> they control the entertainment industry. What? Don't that's, ask that question. That's ridiculous. Stop that. You're, you're spouting. <laughs> We're going to get a label question. on the show. We're going to get a label. We're going to get a fact check it. label. Sources say that's I disputed, Hans. Sources say it's disputed. Don't Google it. Uh, he wrote, oh my God, he wrote 
Rings, the movie where Samara Morgan comes out of a cell phone to yep. kill. All yeah, the Hollywood hits. All, all the classics. Hancock. Of all the dangers you will face. Freeze well. Of all the thrills you will experience. No adventure is bigger than Batman and Robin. I'm asking you, friend, partner. Will you help me? Arnold Schwarzenegger, George Clooney, Chris O'Donnell, Uma Thurman, Alicia Silverstone. Partners? Partners. Partners. Batman and Robin. This is the fourth film in the Batman franchise of, of the Warner Brothers saga. So uh, I know you tried to correct Kenny on Twitter that Batman 66 was the original. It was not the right. original. Uh, there were two serials that came out in the 1940s, Batman and another one called Batman and Robin from 1943 and 1949, respectively. And uh, there was there was quite a bit of heavy racism in that first Batman movie. Have you ever seen any of the first Batman movie? Well, I've seen the, the costume. That's it. It's kind of like goofy looking, like very saggy, right? It's I think that's a very accurate representation of that early Batman. Even though he doesn't have purple gloves or whatever, uh, yeah. it fits the time. Uh, well, uh, Dr. Daka is the villain. He's the first ever Batman villain on film. And it's clearly a white actor with some Mickey Rooney face. And Batman says certain things. And these are all quotes. This is not me saying this. So don't, uh. report, per, don't report this podcast to iTunes. But he punches a bad guy and goes, like, take that, squint eye. Take that, Jap. He says all this nice. stuff while in fights. So it's cool. uh it's classic Batman, you know. And that should uh, be a drop. That should be a drop for the show every time I say I joke that doesn't <laughs> that doesn't hit. That's it's just you saying that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When you don't laugh at my my my, my humor. Yeah. Here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I don't understand the joke and I just sit there quietly, my autism not laughing. Right. So Batman and Robin comes out in 1949, and that has a villain called the Wizard. And the Wizard is like a computer hacker for 1949. So a computer in 1949 is a room is it, of machines. Is it also the, the Wizard? Is it is it another yellow face, or is it just a regular guy? <laughs> no, at that point, at that point, they kind of evened out. You know, the propaganda wasn't as heavy, uh, so it was just a regular old guy. And they had Captain America by that point, and Superman, so. They had the, the, the ones that it more naturally fit with. Then there's a break in between Batman re returns in 1966 for the Adam West TV show. And they do the movie the same year that the TV show premieres. And it, it I mean, this movie echoes that quite heavily, but with a dose of 90s pop culture infused with it. And it's a total disaster. It's like I like I said either before we started or at the beginning of the show. It's one of the all time great bad movies. Yeah. What are what is your feeling and what is your thoughts on Batman and Robin? I I I, I want to think that I I, I know what he was go trying to, or what he was going for. I just don't think that. <clears throat> I don't think he went far enough with the camp. I don't think. Because to me, it feels like he's trying to bring the 66 tone of that Batman TV show into the 90s. But I don't know if it's just that it's an awkward fit with the 90s and uh, 
how everything used to work in the 90s. But for whatever reason, it just didn't have the charm that the series from the 60s has. I don't know if it was that just the performances weren't there because I, I really didn't find any of them to be good. Um, everything. Uh oh, we got another hiccup. Oh my! Oh, okay, you're good. Got it. You're good. good. We're back. We're okay. Back. Uh, I was saying everything that Irma Therma said felt very much like a light version of uh, Jim Carrey's The Riddler. Uh, so it was just pretty much a you know a sex what is it a sex swap or a gender swap of of that. Yeah. Um, Bane seemed completely unnecessary. I, it was just a waste of the character uh, that had a very... You didn't like him yelling Bane every, <laughs> no. every 20 minutes? I like that they, they tried to use the, the... Or a little bit of the origin from the cartoon with like the whole you know fluid muscles thing. But then it just ended... Them just disconnected him and that, that's it. So it was, it was kind of anticlimactic. And then... Uh, I think Schwarzenegger, um, you can tell that he's going all out, uh, but it's just, I don't know. It just, I, I, a lot of the, the lines, a lot of his lines needed like a take two, I think, because I see the joke. I see the, ha, ah, what you're trying to do. But I guess it's just his accent or like the way he delivered them. But sometimes you have to like re, like rewind a little bit to make sure that he said the say, the thing that you think he said just because of how he's delivering the line. So even that, I didn't enjoy it as much as I remember enjoying it the first time I saw it. Uh, but yeah, I just I just think that he he should have gone a little further with with the camp and not so much into you know set pieces. There were so many fucking set pieces. There were a lot of thing. set pieces. You know, it's funny that you're saying it wasn't campy enough when that is the primary oh complaint God, of what the everybody. Is... Oh, geez. Hans is running into all sorts <sighs> of issues. No, I can. I, I don't know if you can hear me. I can hear you just fine. What if I just turn off my video? Let's see if this works. It's just you. Yeah. <laughs> just you talking. Maybe. Well, let, let's right. let's try it out for like three minutes and then we'll come back because people are paying okay. for the video at patreon.com slash Lorenz. Five dollars. We're dropping three episodes in one day. Uh, this is what, what was it? The December twenty eighth, December twenty eighth. So twenty twenty is almost over. But if you're not paying for the for the episodes uh, upon their release date on Patreon, well, you're you're probably listening to this around January twelfth or something like along those lines. Um, yeah. So what? I'm sorry. What were we saying before? It's a great question. <laughs> I, I think we were talking about oh camp. I got the frustrated. Camp. I wanted to punch my computer and then I forgot. <laughs> We're talking about the camp of the movie. Most people hate the campiness of this film. You're saying it didn't, it wasn't campy enough for you. Yeah. Uh, if you're going for it, you, you can't play it off as cool. I think that at, at times this movie tries to make you believe that some of the things they do are cool, especially with the Robin character and his bike and his leather jacket. And uh, um, I, I, I just, I, I wish he had gone in a not serious way of presenting that, I guess. Like, none of it is cool. Like, none of it, maybe in the 90s. I don't know if it's just me seeing it with 2020 eyes and being an old man. But none of it felt cool. It just felt like this is an old man trying to convince a young person that this is what they're supposed to like or think it's cool, you know? I think I, I get what you're saying. Uh, I, I mean, I, I don't know if I agree with the notion that this movie wasn't campy enough. But I, I can't imagine it being campier, to be honest with you. I, I, I don't see this as 
less campy than the 1960s TV show. I think it's actually more campy. Okay, maybe it's just that I, I just don't think it's as, as charming as the other one. A lot of it feel, feels a little forced, and I, I really dislike George Clooney uh, as a leading man. I, I, I thought he was supposed to be charming, and the reason why they pick him in roles is because he's charming, and every time he's Bruce Wayne, he's awkward. He feels uncomfortable. He feels like... Because he knows he's in a bad movie. He knows he's in a <laughs> shitty movie and the lines are terrible. That's why. Yeah, but they, they're not high. They're how you just deliver those shitty lines with your, you know, ER charm or whatever the fuck what he was up to at the time. I don't even know. But And in this, like, there's a line um, when a poison ivy asks him about or, or whenever the, he meets the girl and... Someone asked him about marriage, and he goes like, uh, "Marriage, marriage," and it's just like, "What, what, you, what is this?" You know, you're supposed to be the the charming guy, and there's nothing charming about this millionaire that's supposed to, you know, everyone's supposed to like. He's also hardly in the movie. You know, I don't think that there's a single. I mean, we were talking about how that's a benefit to Batman '89 that Batman is kind of a backseat character to the Joker, and you don't know much about this character. Or uh, his backstory, really. We only find out midway through the film that his parents were killed. We don't open with that, that origin story. Mm -hmm. And uh, you you don't get a whole lot of that. In Batman and Robin, especially after the last film, Batman Forever, which is maybe the most like Bruce Wayne heavy of the four movies. I think Batman Returns is, is close to that, but they don't really delve into his personal character a whole lot. It's really more... The Penguin's showcase. In this movie, he he feels like a background character. He Clooney isn't first built. Schwarzenegger is. Yeah. And there is not really an equal division between his character, Mr. Freeze, Poison Ivy, and even the Batgirl character, which I think absorbs more of the movie than Batman. I feel like Alfred absorbs more of the movie than Batman himself. Yeah. Yeah, the bad girl thing, uh, we spend more time with her than we ever spend with Batman by himself. We have that, which feels like a half an hour scene of her in the bike with like the bike race or whatever, uh, where we get to see that she's a badass chick, right? Uh, We don't have anything like that with Batman. He he really feels like, (laughs) I don't know if they were thinking of doing like a, like a, you know, Batwoman robbing thing, but... It really feels like this is the the third most important character yeah. uh, in this movie, you know? Uh, I guess it's because we've seen more Batman than Robin and, and her. So, hey, let's spe- spend time with them. But at the same time, uh, like you just said, the uh, time that we spend with uh, uh, Batman in the other movies, we never really get to know him that much. We, we don't really see- get to see him interact with many people uh, until we get to Forever. Uh, so it felt kind of weird that they were so focused on, you know, what Robin wanted and what Bad Girl wanted and Alfred getting sick, you know, than than giving a fuck about this George Clooney representation of the character. Yeah, I don't think that he really brings anything to this character. And I don't I don't think that George Clooney's a bad actor. I don't think that's his fault. I think he realized that this movie was nothing more than a paycheck and decided he wasn't going to get invested in the film and not offer his like his uh, trademark charisma 
for, right. for what we're supposed to believe is charisma into every project that he you know is a part of. So I, I, I would even venture to say that maybe even Robin, if he's not equal with Batman, he might actually have more depth in the film. I mean, at least Robin has an instance where there's, there's stakes for his character where he gets frozen in the beginning. And Batman right, has right, to right. use his toy gun, his toy laser gun, to unfreeze him. The whole the whole movie sucks. It's it's just a, it is everything that has been uh, some. It's been summed up to being a film to sell toys over the past ten years, and it couldn't be more evident with the exchange of a new Batmobile, or the costumes from the last film, uh, and how you know freeze Batman. Uh, Robin, maybe even Batgirl, they all wind up changing outfits. And then the toys that were sold for this movie, they don't even right. look like the characters half the time. I yeah, remember yeah. I remember the, the Bane action figure because I was a boy and I saw this movie in the theaters, the first Batman movie I had ever seen in theaters. And I got all the action figures naturally, very excited about this film. That's the first I even heard that there was a Batman and Robin movie coming out. I was going to Toys R Us, looking at the action figure aisle and seeing Bane. And I was like, Bane? Bane's such like a C-list villain. I'm surprised he's going right. to be in this movie. And his the, the the action figure of Bane looks like Bane. It looks pretty cool. He's muscly. He's got the mask. He looks intimidating. The Bane in this movie, as found behind <laughs> me here, has... Juan, what's his name? Or Juan Luis Lopez <laughs> or some shit? <laughs> yes, he's a, he's a Mexican immigrant rapist in this movie. Yeah. And... A lot of Home Depot outside. He's him up, <laughs> full of toxins and yep, yeah. yep. And he's played by Jeep Swenson, who strategically died before the release of this movie, so he wouldn't have to bear the pain of being <laughs> being in such a travesty. Uh, they just paint his arms yellow, and he says "Bane" over and over again. Doesn't I mean? At one point, I think he's wearing a fedora and a trench coat. That's cute. And the Hulk wears a suit. Yeah, it's. <laughs> It's not a good representation of the character. It's its own rendition, similar to the Tom Hardy one from Dark Knight Rises, very different from the comic book or the animated series at that time. Mr. Freeze, what do you what do you think about Mr. Freeze and his puns and his outfit here? Sorry, I'm I'm, I'm truly retarded, and I unplugged my Bluetooth headset by mistake. Could you repeat what you said? <laughs> <laughs> I was asking you what what uh, your feeling was about Arnold's performance here as Mister Freeze. Who is top build? He is the star of the movie. His entire backstory is the focal point of this film. It's all about reviving his wife. They take that from the animated series. What did you think of this interpretation of Mister Freeze in the film? I thought he was enjoyable. I thought he, you can tell he's having fun with it. Uh, I, 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 I don't know if it's a language thing, but I kind of wish that we had different takes of his lines just because at times it feels like, I don't know if he understands exactly what the pun is or what the joke is in the line. So a lot of the time it kind of doesn't really hit. Um, but you, you can tell he's trying. Uh, you can tell that he's just having fun with it. He's not... You know, I'm sure that someone that's just used to being the body, you know, uh, someone just told them, hey, you're actually going to be saying jokes in this thing. So I'm sure he was excited uh, by it. And he's the only one, I think, that gave like an, an enjoyable performance or that 
seemed like he wanted to be there, I guess, you know? Yeah. Uh, I don't, under- don't understand why the suit has nipples. His, I don't, I don't get that. Wait, has wait, like hold little, on. Mr. Freeze's suit it, has nipples? Yeah, Mr. It, I. I don't know if it's, it's like it's more like areolas than nipples. So it, he has like oh yeah, glow, he has he has glowing pecs, but then it has like two little uh, circles that are like silver. So they look they look like he's areolas, and I was just confused because it's an it's like an armor. <laughs> Why do you need? But but yeah, he he was good. I I enjoyed him. I agree. I, I actually think that Arnold Schwarzenegger is the one redeeming aspect of this movie simply because it does seem like everyone else. Maybe it, it's hard to get a read on Chris O'Donnell. He just seems like he's a void. Like he, yeah. His head is just empty. You know, he's a perfect actor as far as that goes. But Arnold Schwarzenegger, you can tell. Yeah, he he's the only one getting a kick out of what, what he's doing. Probably because he has the most to chew off in this film. He's got a cool costume for the 90s for a comic book yeah. character. Uh, he's he gets to offer his rendition of a character that previously, aside from the 1960s show with a couple of forgettable, like fat, bald guys that were in face paint, uh, he gets to give the definitive rendition of this Mr. Freeze. And I, I think he does a for for what this is, if this was an episode of the 1960s TV show in the modern day, he's the perfect villain for that. Poison Ivy, on the other hand. I I feel like a lot of people have come around to Uma Thurman's performance on, as Poison Ivy in this movie, but for me, it's it's just too one note. But I I mean, look, that fits with the rest of the film. Mister Freeze is kind of one note. Actually, no, he's not one note because he no, has his no, he's not. No, he's not. Yeah, I, I'll walk that back. He does have his moments where he's a more sympathetic character and has like emotional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's very sad about his wife. Yeah, and then he's very angry about his wife when he sees the. The little TV that Batman shows him that's in like a batarang or some shit. Right, right. <laughs> At the end, yeah, where he shows just like a scene of the movie. It's not <laughs> even from a different. It's yeah. not even a different POV. They couldn't. They couldn't put a VHS from... filter over it or anything. No, it was shot with an Ari Alexa. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, no, you're you're correct about that. I mean, obviously, Bane is the most one note character here, but Poison Ivy is not far behind with her. Just I'm gonna be a slut in every movie, every scene of this movie. I'm just gonna I'm gonna slut it up with. It. I mean, but that's the character. That's Poison Ivy, yeah. right? So yeah, I yeah, I don't know. It's just uh, it was it, it was just too much. I guess I think one of the one of the things that really affected my my viewing experience was how long it is i forgot how long this thing is and it just feels completely unnecessary because they don't do anything interesting in the story that would merit the length uh and something that i noticed a lot was that was a lot of set pieces there was a lot of long scenes with this larger than life action oh 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 no, you're good. You're there good. You're, we're back. We're good. We're good. We're back. Okay. <laughs> Not hitting each other. They're fighting. It's really... It, it felt like a play. It felt like they were recording a play. Uh, none of the punches look like punches. Uh, he does a trick with the camera where he puts things in between Batman and the camera. So whenever he's about to hit, the camera is either blocked by the body of the bad guy or blocked by something else that flew on camera. So none of the fights look like fights. They look more like a, like a ballet or something that's set yeah, up like that. You like know? Batman it's on fun. ice. 
Exactly, yeah. Uh, well, at the beginning, he's skating, right? He's there literally on he's ice, skating. yes. Uh, yeah. And then, then you have a, a, the a whole intro, like Poison Ivy intro, which is another musical uh, where, where they, you know, bring her in arms and she has like their whole number that's like 10 minutes. Uh, then there's the scene with the motorcycles. That's another very long scene, too. So I don't know, but maybe uh, what's the cut? That you got the deacidified like, twenty six yeah. minute camp remover that I received in the mail. I think it's on YouTube now. It must be on YouTube now. But I received a version of Batman and Robin when I was a child. Even grown men, adult men, just sent me DVDs in the mail, and this was one of them. And it reduces the film to a much more feasible length and removes everything that is egregious about it. Yeah. The alpha cut. That's what it's yeah, called, yes, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> the alpha male cut. Uh, yeah, but uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I think that that uh, soured my viewing experience. I, I forgot how long it was. And now, um, if you're going to make a, a two-hour movie, you need to give me something to watch. Because otherwise, it ends up being something like uh, It 2. That was like two and a half hours. And the whole time, you were just like, are you going to do anything with the story? Or is it just set pieces? Uh, that lead nowhere, which is kind of what that movie ends up being. Another one that's like that is uh, Wonder Woman 1984 that I, I saw. Oh, I, I, I do want to talk about that movie with you uh, oh, because you, oh. you watched it and you actually you did not rant about it, but you left left your review to a few words. You said, I did not like it. Yeah, I I haven't finished it. Oh, that's that's yeah, because I. Um, I was intoxicated at the time and I was very confused because the things that I was seeing on screen didn't make any fucking sense at all. So I was like, okay, this must be me. So I would just rewind it. And then the characters would say the things that they would say. And I would still be like, no, hold on. There's no way that they're just changing everything about this universe again. So this movie doesn't, because this movie doesn't fit anything with the other ones. It, the tone is completely different as the, even the first one, uh, where you don't really know what you're yeah. supposed to be taking seriously. I'll you tell you know. what. It reminded me a lot of the tonal shift from Batman 89 to Batman Forever. Uh, mm. it, it, it's not the same audience. They're not going for the same audience with this movie that the first Wonder Woman movie did. And I think people rag on them all the time. You rag on them all the time, Hans. Zack Snyder, I think, is responsible for <laughs> that tone of the first Wonder Woman movie that made it watchable. And then we see what happens when you just have Patty Oof. Jenkins and probably yeah. Gal Gadot, now that she's a star, has probably more creative input. And then the studio is like, well, Shazam was a hit. Shazam was the unexpected hit. We should go more in this direction as yeah. opposed to just separating the tones of these different movies and letting them be their own thing. It felt like Wonder Woman 84 felt like they were trying to capture that energy that Shazam came out with and then infuse it with Richard Donner's Superman, especially in the beginning when she's mm -hmm. in the mall and you hear that tune that sounds eerily like the Superman of, of uh, you know, the 20th century, that theme song by what's his name? Uh, John, whoever did the star Wars or something. Williams, know, John Williams. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Sure. <laughs> So that, that iconic theme, it, it, they're trying to capture that essence so bad. And, you know, I, I put out a tweet. I was like, Wonder Woman 84. They put 84 in the title to remind you it's 80s because nothing about it feels retro whatsoever. 
They, I yeah. mean, straight. We everybody always gripes about, and I'm certainly guilty of this. Stranger Things not capturing the '80s correctly, or capturing like uh, a snapshot of a snapshot of the 1980s. But Wonder Woman '84 has nothing about it that feels 80s the jokes in the movie which are painfully unfunny are related to the 80s but nothing about it looks 80s nobody's acting like it's the 1980s uh it's it's but i don't know i I can't say that it's a bad movie because it just feels like a kid's movie it feels like a a, a dumb kid's movie it was really weird Uh, again i i haven't finished it because i was intoxicated at the time so i was wondering if it was me uh, because I I tried to make it fit into what I guess DC is not trying to do anymore, which is, you know, fix the whole Justice League thing and continue with this. I guess that's dead now because this doesn't like I can't imagine this character fitting a serious Zack Snyder movie anymore. And I understand if you're trying to do that with something like uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, that's like its own little thing. But Wonder Woman is one of the main justice league character he's she's one of the leaders right uh so how are you gonna go from goofy sassy wonder woman in this movie to now she's serious again and uh you know all the little jokes and the little ha-has that you have in this movie never mind she's serious now again yeah and uh i i completely forgot about the 84 thing now that you mentioned it i it it I, I tried to think, or I guess it just I just convinced myself that the 84 wasn't related to the year because it didn't feel like the 80s. So I was waiting for what the 84 means. Like it didn't even cross my mind that, okay, so this is supposed to be 1984 because of how much it does not feel like 1984, like you just said. Yeah. The, the only part of the movie that I thought was good until the end, and you'll maybe eventually see this, is I thought uh, uh, Kristen Wiig was actually good in her performance and in, in that character but really i yeah i did that playing yeah. that character this the that stereotype of uh I, i'm a little nerdy nobody likes me but hey all i have to do is fix my hair and everyone's gonna like oh they don't like me anymore i'm evil now yeah i didn't mind that i, I honestly <laughs> maybe it's just because compared to pedro pascal's uh maxwell lord character <laughs> where he's playing like ricardo montalban on fantasy island and that he's awful. He's really bad. He's the most draining part of this movie. And the overindulgence of special effects. Like, there's a scene where just his eye is bloody, right? Because he's doing his whole thing where he's making people grant wishes or whatever. And they couldn't even just add in a contact. They had to do bad CG where it's just like he's got pixels on his face. And it looks terrible. So 200. 200 million budget for this movie that was another thing i could understand where does that go is it all like salaries because it's a big cast of famous people this guy's mandalorian now so i guess you know yeah because you don't really see a cool shots that you can only do with technology or cool cgi that you can only do now so it would cost you hundreds of millions of dollars but where where is it you know what i mean like you see an Avengers movie and you, okay, there's giant monsters and then giant, you know, machines and shit. So fine. But I guess I'll have to see if they spent a hundred million on the invisible jet that I've yet to see. Uh, yeah. But I heard that's in it. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't expecting anything great because I, I, I thought the first one was pretty boring. Uh, and, uh, 
I guess I was just very confused as to what what are they trying to do now? Like, what's the next step from this? You know, especially with the Zack Snyder thing coming out. That's a completely different character than the Wonder Woman we saw in this one. She's not a sassy. Yeah. And this one, she's very sassy. And she has that look on her face of like, I know better, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's interesting, though, to see what the critical reaction was prior to the movie dropping on HBO Max because it had majority good reviews. I think it might have been even certified fresh. And as soon as the movie came out and it wasn't just like, uh uh-oh, the trolls are at it again. The trolls are trying to attack the movie just like Last Jedi, just like everything else. And it's not even like one of those super feminist yada 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 type of films uh, that's just drenched in, you know, progressive ideology. It's not that at all. I've seen people criticizing, oh, Pedro Pascal's Maxwell Lord is a very Donald Trump character, but he's not. He's not really. He's just got blonde hair. He's a he's Mexican. Right. So, no, he's nothing like Donald Trump of the 80s. Even are we we really really going to do that now? Every loud shitty character now is very Trumpian. Very Trump-esque character. Oh, God, fucking get another reference. (laughs) There's been other shitty people, you know, that just... People damn. people think that's going to go away over the next four years because of because of Biden. No, they're, they're, the obsession does not go away so easily. You are mistaken. You are deeply mistaken if you think that's going to be the case. So I'm t- I'm taking a look at the re- critical reviews of this movie now. Rotten Tomatoes has it down to a 64 percent. IMDb oh, wow. that's, 5. That's down 9. from 16. I think it was 69 at the beginning of the of when, last week. When I checked it, when it first came out on HBO Max, and this I mean before this. I think it was actually in the 80s or something. Uh, when it was just premiering, it was at 74%. So it has gone down at least 10%. And uh, apparently there are top-voted tags for Google. And the top-voted tags are boring, overhyped, <laughs> corny, forgettable, overrated, cringeworthy, slow, unconvincing, cliche, and must-watch. Yeah. Well, Patty Jenkins, right? She's a... Uh... She's one of the new women that are going to take film into womenhood moving forward or whatever. Sure. Wasn't Ava DuVernay. She was another, another, another fucking hack. What's the word? Another uh, hack. She's a hack. She, trend, she's a trendsetter. Another maverick. <laughs> Can we stop praising people just because of what fucking dangles between their legs? They suck. I yeah. don't care. If you have a vagina, if the movie is terrible, that should not change the fact that the movie is terrible. And this movie is pretty bad. I don't know if I would say terrible. Again, I, I have to see it with sober eyes because I, I was kind of not in a great state when I saw yes. it. I was having fun, but I was very confused. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I don't know. I, it's it's the, Batman Forever Tear. That's all it is. It's like, it, it, it's right. not good, but it's a kid's movie and it abides by kid movie logic so i can't really criticize it on those grounds makes me think though makes me think that Zack snyder probably directed some of the scenes for that first wonder he probably directed the whole movie we should probably retroactively call that a Zack snyder film just like just like uh poltergeist with toby hooper and steven spielberg patty jenkins was probably drunk off her ass just getting sloshed on the set but they're like fuck we need we need a woman filmmaker to do this 
on wine, mom wine, wine and reading gossip magazines and shit. Because she's a fifty-year-old <laughs> childless woman. You know how old they are. Yeah, you know they're yeah. they're like Kristen Wiig. Yeah, lonely. Yep, Chelsea Handler types. So she was probably doing <laughs> yeah. that. She was reading self-help books, and Zack Snyder was like, "God damn it, I got to step in here. I got to make sure that this she ship was... is righted. This is the first female-led superhero movie." She was retweeting PETA. Uh, on her phone while Zack Snyder shot the... Was there even visually interesting scenes in the original one? No. It wasn't... Look, I'll, I'll tell you what I liked about the the original Wonder Woman movie is the the costumes. I liked the setting. It reminded... I, I thought they captured the 1930s, 1940s era very well in a way that was somewhat reminiscent to the, the, uh, the style that's found in Batman 89. But obviously... They fully leaned into that to fit the era, and it, it, I thought it worked great. And right. it made it it made it feel unique among the other superhero films because it does take place in a different p- time period. They nailed that, and then completely lost that quality with this movie. With yeah, you, you would think it would be easier to nail the 1980s since everybody else has. And they well, they got ri- they got rid of the writers, right? Did they? It wouldn't surprise I me. Patty, I think Patty Jenkins took over the writing on this one, and. Well, so what happened? Let's see, Patty Jenkins. Uh, Hans is looking it up. It's not his connection. There we go. Hi, how's it going? Okay, good. That gave me a couple of seconds to look for the the writer. So, uh, Patty Jenkins, Dave Callahan, who. Uh, Wrote that Godzilla movie. It's great. That second Zombieland movie. It's great. Um, we're not we're not getting the best ones. <laughs> we're not getting the best of them to write this no. movies. I'm not surprised. I guess. But yeah, a, a, a miss. Definitely a miss from the half an hour that I've seen. How long is is it? Also, like two and a half hours long, right? Yeah. <sighs> why, God? Why are they? God damn. Okay. Yeah, I might never watch this. <laughs> I might never finish Wonder Woman just because. Let me, uh, let me, let me tell you what you're missing out on in that last half hour of the movie. You get Cheetah, the character, and how she becomes Cheetah is so shoehorned and makes no sense at all. It's just her her character motivation is essentially to be like Gal Gadot. She wants to be the hot, right. sexy, well liked individual and it works for her for a while she does become more well liked and then she just wants she she's on a plane with maxwell lord who's losing his mind has just like co-opted the white house and the president got nuclear weapons she's just like i want to be like nothing else that has ever existed before i want to be a primal predator and maxwell lord is like oh i like your thinking so he just turns her into a cat a cat lady and the cg is almost on the level of cats the movie with james corden with her face it kind of looks like that it looks better it look i'll i'll say that it looks better but that's that's a low bar okay that's a very how, low bar how does it how does it look when it's fighting so that character is fighting primarily in the dark in the water with wonder woman so they they were at least strategic with it they realized the design probably wasn't good and they set it in a location where they could hide it as much as possible. So you, you, you only kind of get like dark glimpses of that that face. Um, it's not the worst thing. It's not good, though. And it makes no sense. It doesn't fit with the rest of the movie. 
And ultimately, it, it just... Wouldn't you get a, a character that works in the water so that you could do it in the water? No, a and cat. Would, you want a cat so... in the water? <laughs> what are you talking about? A cat is natural in the water. Why are we making these people millionaires? Can we talk about that? It's Why? not us. I don't. It's not us. It's not us. I don't okay, think it's I, us. I, you're right. I'm not spending. I'm not spending money on it. But uh, yeah, let's do a cat and then in the water because the you know the CGI is not up to par. How about just let's not do a cat? Yeah. <laughs> is there the only one villain in the Wonder Woman universe that you can use for this, where you can't show it? Why? <laughs> you know, like. What are these people thinking? And and again, what's the next step? What's coming after this? Wonder Woman 3, 1994? I don't, I don't know. I don't know what... Yeah, that, is, that really would she's, be. She's, she's kind of mean now. She's got like a very like... Here's what I want to know. attitude to everything. And What's going to happen when Gal Gadot starts aging? Because technically... Which... How old is she? She's in the 30s, right? She, she I think she might be 35 or something. She's going to start aging soon. And there's only so, I mean, you're either going to have to pull out the visual effects or you're just going to have to accept it. And then it's going to be like a Hugh Jackman situation where it's like, even though this movie takes place around the time of the first X-Men and he looks completely different now, uh, I think it's probably just going to be one of those situations. Better not to analyze it too much. It's just Wonder Woman 4. Her face is very smooth now. Yes. <laughs> Her face is weirdly smooth, even smoother than when she was young. She... Uh, I, I I don't know. I think, well, I, I already saw a couple of articles claiming that it's made so much money already, right? Because, of There's course. There's no way to measure that. Think, There's no I way think to in China it. or something they said that there was a, like a bunch of money from China or whatever. But I I just don't see studios unless we're 100 percent back to normal spending 200 million dollars on movies anymore and especially if this doesn't go well you know uh hopefully it'll make them focus that money on projects that are actually worth making uh if once they start you know not getting the, the returns on these movies because they're not on theaters but it just felt like such a waste of 200 million you know it's like where where is that money going? I don't I I don't get it. And before, when when you could see it in the theaters, then fine. You know, I'm sure the sound or some of the visuals look better in the theater. But right. I don't know, hundred million for something like this uh, I mean, to watch at home. I don't know. It was all to, to, to Patty Jenkins' wine budget, her wine crate, her winery. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and her her couple of of gay best friends that hang out with yeah. her the whole time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's right, Patty. Come at me. <laughs> You're completely right because this kind of movie is not going to float the same way on streaming that it would in the theater. People go see a Marvel movie in the theater; they get wowed. They get wowed by the special effects, by the spectacle by the stakes that are involved. Oh, the world's going to blow up again. Then we get to see a shot of outer space and then the the CGI suit. That's not going to work. That doesn't work for a two and a half hour movie on a streaming platform. So I I, I think the day of this type of movie is going to be over very soon. I think it's going to be turned into a TV show. I think that's what Disney's prepping for right now. And, uh, you know, you're complaining about Batman and Robin, being too long but comparatively this is where it's gone hours the balls on this people two and a half hours of a wonder woman movie 
where does does a lot happen? I'm sure that not no. a lot happens. No, it. it's Maxwell Lord granting wishes and decaying and trying to get all the world's power. And then we have a fight at the end. There's a good 40 minutes of this movie where it's Gal Gadot as Diana Prince interacting, working, doing this and that that can be cut out. And the whole Steve Trevor returns plot is trash. I mean, we knew that was going to happen. I thought it was a cool note to end on that you kill him off in the first movie. But uh, of course, it was never going to last. They have to, he'll bring, they'll bring him back again. They do another sentimental send off like, I'm really dead. I'm not this guy. I'm some other guy. And I'm back. But now I got to go. They keep, do they keep that going through the whole movie where we see him as him, as this Steve, what's his name? Steve, Steve, Steve John. Jobs. Steve yeah. Jobs. Yes. Steve, <laughs> Steve Jobs. Uh, but it's because she sees him like that. But everyone else, God damn, just fucking get another actor. <laughs> just what are you doing? Oh, God damn. Okay. Uh, so what you're saying is that this is not once upon a time in America. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't need to be three and a half hours. Right. Yeah. No, absolutely not. <laughs> okay. um, it's not Zack Snyder's Justice League. I'll tell you that right now, which we're going to get in like two months. I'm hyped for that. That's going to save the theater. Yeah. Four, four and a half hours. Wonder Woman's back. That's four episodes, right? Or is it two? I think they're doing a movie. I think it was originally supposed to be cut up into four parts, and now they're just going to release it as a movie. It's a four-hour movie? Yeah. That would be a mistake. <laughs> no, who cares? He's that. Look, it's not going to go anywhere. You saw where the, this was the future of the DC universe. Who cares? At this point, just let Zack Snyder do whatever he wants. It'll be the final chapter. That'll be a wrap. And honestly, if they cared so much, they wouldn't have given him as much money to redo the whole thing again. So I guess it's just uh, go with it. The, what we tried didn't work. So here's a bunch of money and let's do your vision and see how that goes. So fair. Yeah. Wow. We're really looking forward to the episode that I'm sure we'll we'll do the day after it comes out. <laughs> because you'll be tight with so much to say about it. <clears throat> Maybe. We'll we'll see. I don't know. I'm not I'm not like a big Justice League guy i i like Zack snyder as a director uh i didn't have as much interest in the movie when he was still on board before they they fired him or whatever as i did batman v superman i thought that was going to be the more interesting of the two and he's he's i mean i think we talked about this before he's doing a, a different version of batman v superman now too but uh we should really get back to batman right. and robin right. how about that which is going to be part of the canon dceu very soon once once Michael Keaton gets in with the Flash, Ezra Miller, on the stand on CBS All Access, sponsoring this show today. You watch that. Yeah. Don't watch it. <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible. And, you know, uh, the, the thing you said to me in the group chat was very true that uh, I downloaded the first. I think there's only two episodes. out. There might be three now. I downloaded the first two episodes. Sorry. I streamed legally the first two episodes uh, Well, the first episode. And immediately after the, what is it, NBC? CBS. Is it NBC? CBS. CBS production logo came up, and I was like, oh, oh no. I was like, I didn't know it was CBS. And it feels like what you said, like under the dome, but now it's, you know, a pandemic, not a dome. It's really bad. It, look, I, uh, yeah, I appreciate a good competition reality show from time to time, but CBS, when it comes to scripted content, 
when it comes to scripted TV shows, I don't know if they've ever had like an actual good show. They did Touched by an Angel in the 90s. And then they did, what was it, Nash Bridges or something. And then they did JAG. And then they did NCIS. It's, <laughs> it's never been good. And when they handle Stephen King, Under the Dome is one of the most egregious examples of an adaptation of one of his books. So I have no hope for this. Even though they have like an all-star cast of Whoopi Goldberg and one of the Skarsgårds and... Who else? Oh, Ezra Miller is doing TV after doing the Flash TV show. Cool. All right. Well, I I'm good. I think I'm good. I'll I'll pass. Are they bringing Arnold to this Flash movie? Come on, they, I guess he's. They should. He's got nothing else going on right now. What's What's uh, fucking Chris O'Donnell doing right now? <laughs> he's doing. He's on CBS. He's doing NCIS with LL Cool J. So he's he's a busy man. All he, right. He's the only one getting steady acting work nowadays. Where's Uma Lee, Thurman? Lisa Sil- Where's Lisa Silverstone's old ass? She lost all that charm she had when she was younger, and now she's just old. Which Great, been, let's watch that. She's been putting out <laughs> uh, breastfeeding advocacy videos. I think she's an anti-vaxxer person. And she she's fallen, fallen apart, too. So... I mean, George Clooney is not acting. He's just producing things now. He's probably taking in money. No, no, no. He just he he just did that um, space movie, Enter the World space movie, where he plays a bearded man and his daughter is like an astronaut. And you know, it just came out on Netflix. He directed it. My my girlfriend was watching it, and it seemed very, very emotional for no reason at all. Oh. He's just he's just old now, so he has a beard, and he was in the middle of like the Arctic, and his daughter is in space, and they're trying to save Earth. But there's a lot of them just talking on the radio to each other, and then they realize that oh my god, that's my daughter, and then he gets very emotional, and so there's it, a lot of silence. It's it's, <laughs> it's not it's not it's not very good. Uh, it no. sounds like either frequency or uh, interstellar. What? It, it, Derivative. I think it's called Midnight Sky or something like that. I think that might be it. But yeah, yes, it's terrible. It's 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 not very good. Just in case you wanted to watch what George Clooney's up to. Why don't we talk about Batman and Robin again? Right. Um, <laughs> uh, now that we just did like thirty minutes on Wonder Woman eighty four, <laughs> should this just be four <laughs> episodes now? Four episodes. We'll cut this up into I mean, two parts. What else is there to say about Batman and Robin? It's very gay. It, it <laughs> is very, extremely very, gay. Well, it's very much a theater production, right? Like, that's another thing, that it's very... All of the set pieces are very flamboyant. Yes. Very non-violent. Yes. But it's like, uh, what's the, the gangster movie that's very gay, too? Um, uh, with the... Jersey Boys. What's it, no, uh, all that jazz. You know when you have the the guys wearing white suits and the other guys wearing black suits and they're like in an alleyway being Greece. gay with each other. No, uh, what's it called? Jeez, uh, a story of violence. No, no. Well, whatever. It's it's kind of like that. <laughs> kind okay. of like that movie. If you know what I'm talking about, if you remember that movie, that's like something like Casablanca, but not Casablanca. We're kind of gay with gangsters. That one. West Side kind Story. Of like that one, yes. Is that like a gay movie? I don't know. <laughs> Spielberg's doing that next year. He's doing a remake of it. Never seen it, but oh, I sh- I sh- it's one of those that 
I have such a huge list of movies that you should watch that I haven't, just because why. Uh, that's one. Uh, Casablanca, I've never seen. I got uh, in a lot of those types of movies. I mean, when we get this, this would be a remarkable transition into what our next episode will be, which is the 10 best movies watched in 2020. Right. We're going to end with the t- uh, 10 best films of 2020, even okay. though that's a less spectacular list. But uh, yeah, no, I, I, I think everybody, even the most polished of film critics, unless you're doing that day in and day out, is, you know, they're going to have some some blind spots as far as the classics go. And yeah, I don't think it's that egregious to have not seen Casablanca or West Side Story or something I've along those lines. I've never seen the Indiana Jones movie. Really? Yeah. That's, <laughs> That's surprising for you. Point. Yeah, I know. I just, I don't know. I just haven't. I don't have a reason. It just, I guess it's never been available when I, I don't know. And I remember I downloaded them. I mean, sorry. I, I legally had a chance to stream all of them yes. <laughs> and I just didn't. And uh, that's one of the series that, you know, it's a huge franchise that I just haven't seen any of it. And a lot of the classics, quote unquote, I don't know. The Christmas classics. All the, I mean, yeah. We, we, yeah, you missed out on all the Christmas classics. You should have caught up this week. It's no. a Wonderful Life played 24-7 in the U.S. They played it all around the clock. They're not very fun when you're drunk for three days. <laughs> just intoxicated for three days. You just, what is this Christmas? What is this family unity and happiness bullshit? Yeah. No. <laughs> no. I throw bottles against the fucking TV. No, I'm good. I'm all right. <laughs> so uh, within that time, instead, you watch Batman and Robin, which is, again, yes. we're going to try and stick to it this time. Uh, they, what did you think about the fact that they retconned the last movie and made it so that Two Face survives in this film? When Mister Freeze is being broken out of Arkham Asylum by Bane, right? You see two costumes hanging up because apparently that's just what happens when you're in prison is oh, they yeah. hang up your costume. Uh, we saw the Riddler and Two-Face. So Two-Face is now alive in this universe. That's, yeah, he just broke, broke his legs, I guess. He just, he fell like four Very stories harsh. onto some spikes, but he lived. He caught all yeah. the coins and and he got like a Mario raccoon tail. Went up he in was the in the middle. Yes. In the middle of the spikes. Wasn't hurt by them, yeah. It was miraculous. <clears throat> Yeah. So yeah, I I didn't even. I mean, I I noticed that just because of how weird it was that they were placed perfectly so that the camera could see both things, but I didn't even think about them still being alive. You're right. Joel well, Schumacher, never, he's we'll he, never know. He loves the Easter eggs. He makes a conscious attempt to hint at like a a bigger universe with these two terrible movies. He references Metropolis in in Batman Forever, and he references Superman in this one. And I remember at the time. Nobody's doing that. Nobody at all is doing that. If you check out the Superman movies, he ain't talking about the Flash. He's not talking about Wonder Woman. You watch the the, the live action shows, you would never get anything like that. Everybody's just in their own lane. And this did is he die? Did he die before the Share Universes thing? Schumacher? Yeah. No, he just died this year. Oh. Was he a huge fan of all this shit? I don't think Probably, so. Right? No, he was a huge no? fan of Not poppers, I think. Huge <laughs> huge fan of men. That's what he was a huge allegedly. fan of. Allegedly. Yep, allegedly. No, mm. he, he, was yeah. a, he was a happy married man, I believe. I don't know. 
He said he's had sex with thousands of people. He'll take their names to his grave, and he did. He did. And probably nice. their diseases as well. So, yep. <laughs> Good for him. <laughs> Live a long gay life. <clears throat> uh, before this movie came out, they were so confident it was going to be a hit. I did. I don't think I talked about the pop tarts and the action figures on this version of, of Batman and Robin <laughs> before your internet uh, destroyed it. Uh, there was a massive marketing campaign where they were doing cereals, where they were doing uh, mugs, action figures, pop tarts, sweets, candy. <laughs> I loved all the different pop tarts. Every character, I believe, had their own pop tart flavor, and you know the Robin ones would be like strawberry with the blue sprinkles and icing or whatever. Uh, I had all all this stuff as a seven-year-old. And how I even found out about the movie was through action figures because you didn't have the internet back then the way that you do now. So uh, this was the first Batman movie I saw in theaters. I was hyped about it. I loved it when I was a child and I saw it in the theater. thought it was the best one ever. And um, all that to say, you know, they invested so much money into the marketing campaign of this movie and also commissioned screenwriters to tackle what would be Batman five, because they were so sure it was going to be a hit. And I actually think it didn't do bad in terms of the box office. Can we just do a quick check of that? Can we do a fact check there? I feel like it might not have done great. I feel like it definitely made its money back though. Um, Let's see. According to Box Office Mojo, it made two hundred thirty-eight million worldwide, and the budget was probably uh, like one fifty, right? So, uh, let me see budget. Where does it say? It's weird to see. That. I've never seen this website on my phone. Uh, the budget was one sixty. One sixty. So it was a hit. It was, it was a hit. Let's make that clear. well. I'm sure that with the marketing cost that 160 went way up they just you know don't factor that in but may oh i'm sure they sold a lot of toys and a lot of pop tarts maybe maybe that i think it I all know, gets why... i think it, i think the budget does get factored uh or the marketing budget gets factored into the overall budget i think i might not i'm okay. not 100 percent. maybe not yeah, that might just be warner brothers uh own spending but yeah, you would have to think that this movie made a killing on the action figures and, and this and that. So they probably made dividends that way as well. So it's kind of strange in retrospect that it took eight years to get a movie in motion. Also that they right. didn't green light Batman Triumphant, which was going to be the fifth one. There were a couple of different scripts that were written. There was more than one. They commissioned a few different writers uh, based on the direction that they wanted to go in. Because I think anyone known, yeah, writer known, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I well, for what would have been the continuation of this one, it was Akiva Goldsman, or is his name Goldsmith, <laughs> Holly, the, the Hollywood genius who did It's a Beautiful Mind. God damn that fucking guy! He wrote a <sighs> a version of the script that had the Scarecrow as the main villain, and it would have also featured the return of the Joker in a dream sequence. And I think Harley Quinn was in the movie as well. And there was talk about, we're going to bring back Jack Nicholson for this small role in the movie. 
and Nick Cage or Howard Stern is going to play the Scarecrow, and then Courtney Love is going to play, or Madonna is going to play Harley Quinn, who is going to be the Joker's daughter in this fifth version. Old Harley Quinn? Well, Madonna would have been, what, like 40 at the time? I think Madonna was in her mid-30s at that point, which is old old for a female starlet. Yeah, especially for a Harley Quinn character. Right. Now, can we... Sorry, I don't mean to derail things, but I completely forgot about Akiva's writing credits. And uh, this this guy, um, he gets a lot of work. Um, it's all shit. <laughs> <laughs> you got Star Trek Picard, you got Titans, you got Star Trek Discovery, The Dark Tower, Transformer, that's the last night, Rings, you got a... Well, I guess Fringe, that TV show is fine. Angels and Demons, Da Vinci Code, Cinderella Man, iRobot, Lost in Space with Matt LeBlanc, Batman and Robin, Batman Forever. Boy. Ah. Well, he's rich. That yeah. much that <laughs> much is certain. I guess, I guess that's so much we can say that he's rich. He's produced. Oh, he's a producer in Dr. Sleep. Where? It's like, I guess shit just attracts more shit. Um, but yeah, that's so he was considered for the sequel to this. No, he he wrote it. He wrote th- these scripts got written. They were uh, all commissioned. So people were making. Have you read them? Uh, yeah, I, 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 but not for a long time. I read them all when I was waiting to see what Batman five was going to be. So when I was like 10, 11 years old, I found all these scripts on the Internet and I, I read them, but I haven't read them since then. So there was actually two versions of Batman Triumphant. One was that that was the popular version. The other one was there's a, a script that I think was called Batman Dark Knight, and Dark Knight was one word, where Man Bat was going to be the villain, and Batman was going to go solo again, and we would see Robin and Batgirl murdered in the first 15 minutes of the movie, and I think Alfred was going to be killed. So it would have just been Batman versus Man Bat, and maybe the Scarecrow had a part in that movie. I, I don't know. They They seemed very heavily focused on going in a scarecrow direction for that next film though. So at a certain point, I think in 1998 or 1999, they were just like, we're done with this. I believe they were talking about Kurt Russell as a potential replacement for George Clooney. If he didn't want to renew his contract for Batman five. So once they decided we're done with this whole series of, of four films here, they took to Darren Aronofsky to do Batman year one. And that would have been co-written with Frank Miller, who wrote the graphic novel of Batman Year One. And it would have been completely different from what his his book originally was, where you have Batman who has no money. Uh, he's living on the streets. He's homeless. He gets taken in by a black auto mechanic named Big Al. And it would have been a hyper-realistic version of Batman. That's kind of in vain to, you know, that movie, not kick-ass, Super, that James Gunn did. Yeah. It would have been something like that, but set in a 1970s New York style location. And as far as I know, there has mm-hmm. actually been, because of Joker, there have been some very minor rumblings about maybe getting this project going again. Uh, I remember the script was fairly good, but I don't think it would have worked at the time. I, I don't think that kind of movie would have been made and successful in the year 2000 especially 
especially as a sequel. Well, maybe not a sequel, but just following this one. Right. Completely different tone and uh the Nolan ones had not come out yet, right? No, this so this so we're, we're still 5 years away from Batman Begins. So this was this was in development for a period of time and around this same time they were also thinking, "All right, maybe we'll do Batman Beyond. We could do a Batman Beyond movie with Bose Yakin who directed Remember the Titans." So I guess they were thinking, all right, well, he's dealt with like teen drama before. We'll, right. We'll, we'll bring right. him in to write and direct it. But he wasn't a fan of the property at all. He didn't know shit about it. He brings in Neil Stevenson from Snow Crash. He wrote that book. And that would have been, I mean, that I don't think that script is out there. I did a video on this years ago. <clears throat> I didn't find a script. I think that could have been really good with Neil Stevenson writing it. But nothing happened with that. That was the one that was the least in development, I think. And then um, the it, last, it, it, was, it was also a time when Aronofsky was an interesting filmmaker, right? Before he went Noah and Mother and whatever pretentious shit he's into now. I mean, he yeah. was still pretentious, which is weird because if you hear him talk, he sounds like any New York Italian. Yeah, <laughs> like he sounds very stupid, but he still has like that. I don't know. I don't know if he's, he went to like private school or whatever, but he still has like that, that pretentiousness about him. And at the beginning of his career, his movies were interesting because of that. It was, they were kind of odd, but now after seeing mother and Noah, it's kind of, I don't know if I would trust him with something like this anymore. No. Um, I'll tell you what pie Requiem for a dream, the wrestler. Those are all really great films. And I think they're entirely dependent on their visual style and their editing. Right. Even I mean, Black Swan. Yeah, no, no, Black Swan is a fantastic editing. movie. Yes. That, but, no, but I mean, like, the editing has a lot to do with how that movie flows. And without it, it would feel really odd. Like, now, now just thinking of how the scenes flow into each other. Uh, so he, has, he had, at that point, uh, still a very interesting filmmaker's, filmmaking style. And I don't know, I guess success happened well <laughs> once he did i haven't seen the fountain with hugh jackman i've heard that's actually a great movie uh but by the time he gets to the wrestler he is more reserved as a director he doesn't have that kinetic pace that he has with his first two films uh, especially requiem for a dream which feels like a 90 minute music video which is, is not a complaint uh, about it whatsoever i think it works extremely well for that movie and the, the cutting between like very short uh, scenes that are maybe like less than a second long. Uh, it, it's perfect. It really fills out the visual style of that movie in a, an amazing way. And by the time you get to the wrestler, he's more dependent on the performances. He gets more into the performances and that movie is entirely carried by Mickey Rourke, of course, but it's still got very natural gritty flares to the settings to uh, a lot of the color choices and the backgrounds. The visual style is really, yeah. It's, it's, he, he managed to, uh, I don't know if it, I can't remember if it's set on a specific time uh, or a specific year or a specific time frame or whatever, but it just feels old. It feels like a different reality than ours, which I guess it is being like a sh shitty wrestler that, you know, doesn't, you know, is not going through the, the greatest time, but. I, I just remember it having a very distinctive look and a very distinctive uh, 
t- tone of it, I guess. I guess is the the word uh, for it. Where where it fe- it felt very like dirty and very very much like a like a seventies type of movie. Yeah, it, it it certainly does have that feel to it. Where the 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 town that that character lives in feels decayed, you know. And I think we see that most in nineteen seventies film, uh, especially New York settings, and where everything is just kind of like the paint is peeling off the place, you know. It, it for the wrestler though that feels like it could be set in a location like here where I'm at right now in Brockton where it's just like a uh, it's a big big city it's a town um, but nobody cares to do anything with it so it's just constantly right. decomposing maybe you'll get a new shop in one location every now and again and they actually do have local wrestlers or whatever putting on shows for crowds that get no coverage they probably have like 120 likes on Facebook. But still, somehow, some crowd of like sixty people, thirty people will, will show up and see these these people. Maybe you'll get like a washed up WWE wrestler from the early aughts in there, and then right. it'll just be a bunch of people trying to get an agent, launch their careers, you know. So that kind of thing is still happening, but it feels like I, I maybe this is the setting, maybe it's not. It feels like it could be upstate New York or somewhere in Detroit or you know some gritty, gross location, and he captures that extremely well. So yeah, he could have been he could have been great at doing a Batman movie, but I'm kind of glad even even though he, he's put out some real shit with Noah and I really didn't like Mother. I think his whole stab at doing uh, uh, Christian themes or whatever, even though he's coming from like a scientist perspective and he's trying to put right. it in a metaphor and Jennifer Lawrence and Javier Bardem or whatever, it's stupid. It's dumb. I I don't care yeah. for that at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just you're you're trying to be clever, but you. He can't. I mean, I don't know if he can. And th- at least in this mother movie, you could tell what he was trying to do right away. You know, it's like we we understand. Like we get. Is that all you? Okay, we get it. Fine. I don't have to sit for two hours going through this thing. You know. Um, so it would have been interesting if it was a young Aronofsky doing Batman Year One. Who would you give that property to right now? If you're going you to adapt the book, that. yeah. I'd really have to think about that. Um, I feel like the obvious go-to one is the Safdie brothers would would do a bang-up job with that. But they're kind of... I feel like they're not going to go in a good direction with their next movie or project. I feel like Uncut Gems, which is a good movie, it's an enjoyable film, is giving a glimpse into what their future is going to be, which is less the dirty, random weirdo, Cassavetes-esque characters and more what big a-list stars can we get in our movie who do i want to meet as a director i i would love to meet adam sandler and kevin garnett and who else can we get in here to just show up for a day i think that's probably where they're heading and that's not going to be great so i'm not sure there's no real interesting active young filmmakers or anything like that that i think are especially primed for a property like Batman year one, necessarily. I think, you know who would be cool if he was actually still making good movies, uh, like his 1980s self, is Alex Cox, who did Repo Man and Sid and Nancy. Somebody like that would have been perfect for Batman year one. Some Like a youthful uh, punk director who is used to dealing with urban landscapes in their films. Right. What do you think... What do you think is going to be Todd Phillips' next step that now that he's an Oscar winner? 
<laughs> well, he didn't win. He's an Oscar nominee, best director Oscar nominee. What didn't didn't he produce? The thing? It, it, it won. Uh, Joker won for for best actor and best music, and it got nominated wow. for best best film, best director, maybe best adapted screenplay. I don't know. He'll, so what you're saying is you, you don't think he's going to do the Hangover Four after this? I wouldn't put it past him. I don't. I don't look. The I don't. Hang, the Hangover Four coronavirus or post pandemic hangover. I don't think that he's. So if you take a look at Todd Phillips peers, right? All yeah. the other comedy directors from the odds, like Adam McKay and Jay Roach, they all went in a direction where it's like, I'm 50 years old. I have to do things that matter now. I'm going to direct bombshell the fox news movie i'm gonna direct hey you know who i really hated and still hate dick cheney i'm gonna do the dick Cheney. i'm gonna write the definitive story on dick cheney todd phillips i mean he's going in a much more respectable direction which is i'm gonna copy martin scorsese i'm just gonna steal martin scorsese's style and change nothing and make that my style and he does that with war dogs and it makes war dogs a very fun movie to watch and he did it with joker and it worked for joker so you know what I'm fine with whatever he does next. If he wants to go, I hate the Hangover movies. If he wants to do Hangover Four, God bless him. It's a greedy Hangover. This is post-pandemic time, so now Sakalifanakis is fatter because he's gained a lot of weight, and he's gonna say something retarded. He's older too. He's sixty now. <laughs> you never see an old retarded person. <laughs> Ed Helms needs to work. You were talking about his yeah. show on Netflix, Coffee and uh, Cream or whatever. Yeah, so he, yeah. he needs it. No, that's a movie. That's a movie. Yeah, How sorry. dare you? I know. Uh, <clears throat> the, the hardest one to get would be Bradley Cooper, but he's friends with Todd. So, I, I mean, he'd do it. Is, is it because he's a director now after that movie? That uh, Lady Gaga movie, didn't he direct that? Yeah, and it won won some Oscars. It, it made an impact. Yeah. Who, who would have thunk? Who would have thought that all the white people in Hollywood would be into romantic musicals about a man just trying to make it and a girl that's trying to make it a little bit harder than him? <laughs> I never saw. I don't even know if that's the story. I never saw that, but I think it it's, it's like close enough. Story. It's close enough. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Bradley yeah. Cooper, he, he produced Joker. How about that? Ah, oh, well, there you go. But uh, the last one, the last movie that was in development for some time before they gave it over to Christopher Nolan was Batman vs. Superman. Batman vs. Superman was supposed to be directed by Wolfgang Peterson, who did The Perfect Storm and Das Boot. And it was going to star... What the fuck? Yeah. This one... Too completely... All right. This one was, was very close to happening. Back in 2003, I think it was greenlit. And I read the script to this... And it's kind of ridiculous and crazy, but it it feels like a world's finest. So at this point in Batman's life, I think everybody's dead. Robin's dead. Alfred's dead. He's an older guy. He's getting married. And the Joker's still alive. Just fucking retire. Just go buy an island and retire. <laughs> this is the saddest millionaire. The saddest millionaire in the history of anything. It was just... Everyone around me dies because of who I am, so I'm just going to keep doing it, being sad and rich. Uh, just go to an island and just do an Epstein without the kitty thing. <laughs> you know, on your own island, and fucking be happy. God damn. Just like a, a therapy session, every Batman movie. You're just trying to see how broken this man is because of the death of his parents that happened 50 years ago. You know? 
<laughs> he's about to get married and um the joker's alive in this one and okay. uh the joker shows up to the wedding or whatever actually i think this might even be canon with the they were just still trying to tie it back to the original four so i i maybe i'm misremembering this maybe i'm thinking of uh, dark knight strikes again the frank miller sequel book to dark knight returns but i don't think this is the real joker i feel like this is a joker clone like the Joker's got a number of clones. So he comes back from the dead and kills his wife. And then like a bee kills. Maybe a, maybe a bee kills his wife. I don't know. I feel like a bee kills somebody important. It's been so long since I read well, this. The this bee comes out of his gun and kills her. <laughs> I think it might be that. I actually think it might be that. <laughs> that sounds <laughs> I, I great. Think so. <laughs> I, I really do think it might be that. And then uh, Batman goes nuts or whatever. He's going to try and kill the Joker. Wait, did, and then Superman they, and Lex Luthor step in. Didn't do that on that Gotham TV show where it's like, this is the Joker. No, wait, this is Jerome. He's not the Joker. And then he's like, nah, never mind. This is actually the Joker. Um, that was, I mean, they were, they were brothers. They were brothers or something. You, you, you were a fan of that show. You oh, I love Gotham. It was the best Batman ever. <laughs> I, somebody I had respect for. Who I don't really interact with <laughs> said Gotham, Gotham is the definitive Batman, and I said, "What?" <laughs> and they said, "Yup." And that was the last time I ever spoke to that person. I eventually unfollowed them. So that's how right. that's that's right. where my opinion lies. So uh, that was in development, and Colin Farrell was going to play Batman, and Jude Law was going to play Superman, and then that that had the plug on it pulled for what was known as Batman, the intimidation game, which was just a code for Batman begins. And it was called Batman begins and not dark Knight or anything like that, because they thought, all right, well, if this doesn't work out, we can try and like repackage it as a prequel to that first Batman movie. And that's why it ended with the, the card flip. It's like, if this works, we go to phase two of this. If this doesn't work, then this is Jack Nicholson. So, right. and then the rest is history. Hollywood's changed, and we are put on track for the Disney corporatist uh, future that we're in. What's the next Batman thing that's going to come out besides Justice League? Has there anything been about, announced? The uh, Matt Reeves, Nobody Affleck, though, right? Rob Pattinson. Oh, movie. right, 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 right. Completely forgot about that. Not what when you were talking about uh, year one. That's where I went because uh, of how they said at the beginning that there was going to be elements from Batman year one and this one, and it's more, you know, toned down and he, he doesn't have as many gadgets or as much money, I guess. But after seeing that trailer, it doesn't really, I don't know if they really went with that anymore. No, I mean, he has, no. a, he has it, a simpler Batmobile, I guess, but I, I don't know. Like, what I, do what I've heard for the Matt Reeves Batman movie is that they're going to do the long Halloween, which is why all those villains are in there. And that's the long Halloween is, uh, what is it? Tim Sales, Jeff Loeb, I think did that. That was essentially their own continuation of Batman Year One. You have a lot of the same characters from that, and they just remake The Godfather in that movie, but mixed with Silence of the Lambs. So we'll see where things go with that movie, or if it ever comes out. If it doesn't go direct to streaming, you know, I've heard I've heard a, a, multiple ideas are being tossed around right now about what to do for Batman movies, but that's the only one that has something of its shot. I know that they're thinking about resurrecting the Ben Affleck Batman movie that was originally supposed to happen okay. with uh, Joe Man 
Joe Manganiello. Manganiello, yes. Uh, what's his name? Um, Deathstroke. Deathstroke, mm-hmm. is it? Yeah. So in that movie, Deathstroke would be doing the same thing I've talked about in the other Batman movies that never happened, killing a lot of Batman's friends and family. And uh, I think they might be doing that as an HBO series now. We'll see. And then the other one is they're going to do uh, a reboot of the DCEU with Michael Keaton as Batman and do a Batman Beyond film with him as old Bruce Wayne. Right. I don't know if I'm interested in that. I wonder what his hairpiece is going to look like. Yeah. I don't know. Mm. Uh, I'm I'm interested to see Michael Keaton as Batman again for the Flash movie or whatever they wind up but doing, no, but I don't know about that context. No Tim Burton, though. That's the thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, they, they might try to give him a too much just because of who he is now yeah that's uh, like the he's he's uh, yeah then I, as soon as those words left my mouth i was like who is he now <laughs> what has he, has he done recently after his revival really after spider-man 2 what did he do well he was in he did birdman he did spotlight right. he did the founder he did a, he's trying to get that oscar that's really what it is he should have got the oscar for birdman he's doing a lot of the oscar bait so he only comes up once a year to do a boring movie and uh i mean i'll give him credit for being two best picture winners in a row even though spotlight is probably the worst best picture even over crash oh my god crash dude. is comically bad of a winner spotlight is egregiously boring so i don't know we'll see they forgot that i'll also give him... forgot a spotlight won something <laughs> that was such a piece of shit anyway just in hollywood sucking its own dick once yep. again I'll, I'll give michael keaton credit for dropping out of kong skull island before that movie went into production he was he him and jk simmons were supposed to be i think the john goodman and samuel jackson characters and they dropped out probably when they read the script i thought you were gonna say the john c Riley character that would have been <sighs> Yeah, that would have been very steep rule, but Michael Keaton is Beetlejuice. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's 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 put the kibosh on Batman and Robin. We'll get to the best films that we've watched this year. So thank you for tuning in to this episode of Movies. Uh, if you would like to get that next episode, and probably a lot of episodes by the point that this drops on iTunes and Spotify, patreon.com slash Laura's five dollar and up level gets you the video. One dollar and up. One dollar gets you audio. The day of the recording. How good is that? That's a pretty good deal. It's a pretty good deal. Had a lot of people go from $1 to $5 just because we we started enforcing the video for that $5. Because right. otherwise, why wouldn't you pay $1? Pay $1, you get everything? You get free videos? I don't think so. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. not a good business yeah, model. No. So, nope, not at all. Not for, not, <laughs> sounds like a lot of work for nothing. Yeah. Right, yes. <laughs> and again, we got to get Hans away from yeah. his job once and for all so he can do this full time yes. so he can start our own gas digital network Louis J. Gomez yeah. Yeah. that's right Hans yeah. J <laughs> what's a what's a Spanish last name why can't I think of a Spanish I don't know <laughs> something, okay hold on something happened to me the other day that uh, I wish my friend that I did this to watch this he doesn't even speak english so it never happened but i was with my girlfriend at the supermarket and i was very stoned like i was very you know enjoying my christmas uh and uh she told me later that apparently there was a guy that kept trying to like get in between me or like get in front of me 
to say hello, I guess, but I was not in this world. So I was just walking around and ignoring this guy. Right. Uh, he caught my, I, uh, my girlfriend is, uh, was born in the States. So I talked to her in English, but I talked to everyone else here in Spanish. So to go from one language to the other, I have to do that switch in my mind, right. To change from Spanish to English. I, yeah. I can't do that quickly because I, I don't really use it that much. Uh, and he shows up and I'm going to introduce my friend that I've known for five years, maybe to my girlfriend and I say her name and then I can't remember his. Oh no. So, so I'm just standing there. I'm standing there and she's waiting, obviously. And I'm just like, Oh, that's terrible. Uh, that's for much long. He should have helped me. To be honest, that li- I'm just going to throw a little bit of blame at him because he stood there for way too long without me. How good of a friend is this? Me. Is this somebody you know? I mean, five years is a long time. Well, no, it's just it's someone that moved into a neighborhood or someone that was younger. So I didn't know of his existence until like five years ago. So I, okay. it's not someone I talk to every day, but it's someone that I've interacted gotcha. way you know, more times than I should have to not remember his name. Uh and then, uh, so I just stood there and I like grabbed him by the shoulder and I was like, ah, and I just couldn't. And then he just said his name and like walked away and I felt really shitty <laughs> about this. I don't know why I brought he that He probably thought, here's, here's what he was probably thinking. You're trying to big shot him in front of your girl to impress her. To maybe, be, be, maybe, be yeah. Man. But, but uh, uh, and what was happening is just that I couldn't change the tape in my brain from English to Spanish quick enough. So that I could say, this is my girlfriend in Spanish and then think about his name in the state that I was. So it was just a very uncomfortable almost minute and a half uh, uh, where, yeah, <laughs> where it was just me just trying really hard to remember. And just my friend, very uncomfortable. Apparently, he thinks I'm a huge asshole now. <laughs> yeah. Just like, uh, well, that's you know, atrocious. No, you can't. Apparently not. <laughs> All right. That's been movies for this week. Thank you for listening.